Hello and welcome to The Ravens, a One Tree Hill movies and TV show podcast. Merry Christmas. I'm Simon. And I'm Dom. And tonight's movie for debate is Die Hard. For it is always 10.30 at night, so it's time to grab the snacks from the sweet cupboard, move on upstairs and settle in as tonight's movie for debate is Die Hard. Dom, we are here how you doing, my man? I'm great. Yeah, really, really good. Um, it's finally the Christmas holidays. I've got like one bit of work to do tomorrow. And then it's just pure chill time after that until until January uh, when I go back to work. So, yeah, like this is all new for me, living a dream. What about you, my friend? All good? All good. Yeah, well, this is because you generally in your previous employment like christmas time would have been like the busiest time so i'm super happy for you that you get to enjoy the festivities <laughs> take it easy catch up on the rest that's awesome i've listened to loads of christmas music lately as well which is which is good and i've been watching quite a few christmas films including the film that we're going to discuss this evening How which convenient. is die hard <laughs> Wait, before we do that, what other Christmas films? Reel them off. We need to know. Oh, it's it's not like loads, but I watched The Christmas Chronicle for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is really good. All the Home Alone films, obviously. Which All six. Two are good. The rest are... We'll just leave that there. Listen to our podcast. Um, about them comes <laughs> to out. To find out more. Yeah. <laughs> By the time this goes out, it's probably already out. So it's yeah, all good. Yeah. So find it, Home Alone, all six covered. That's a great one. Good, good chats. Um, what else? Scrolled over the Muppets Christmas Carol. I've seen it so many times, but you know, chuck that one, chuck that one through, and then kind of yeah, just considering considering what's next. What 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 am I going to get to next? I did a I did a work quiz on the Office, but it was all the Christmas episodes. So I've 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 rewatched all of the Christmas episodes of the Office as well. Just you know, just to make sure that I was right. <laughs> the the Chris, <laughs> the christmas office episode when they do like yankee swap is what oh, they call it isn't it, it? Stresses i really me out. yeah i really i like i enjoy every episode of the office but that episode yeah it kind of frustrates me because you just want pam to have the teapot yeah just just to take the teapot he put so much effort into it he wrote things in it he did little things we well, get there in the end but yeah the f and i just watched well she watched for a repeat viewing but for my first time watching uh four christmases with vince vaughn and reese witherspoon and i enjoyed it it was funny it was good I'm trying to think Quite if i've old. seen it i think i might I think have seen it but like 2008 2009 something around there around there but it's good i really like vince vaughn vince Same. vince vaughn just has this ability to deliver any sort of comedic line but so straight-faced and so like hard-hitting it's brilliant i think he's hilarious oh yeah the same i i really really like vince vaughn as well you should definitely watch this because he has some classic vince vaughnisms within (laughs) that movie it's not on anywhere uh like we rented it through amazon prime like it's not on disney plus or netflix or whatever but definitely definitely worth a go and then, yeah, and then we watched Die Hard last night, of course, which is the most Christmas film. And then we just started watching 
It's like Click and Collect. They just put it on Netflix, oh, like a Stephen Merchant thing. I've seen thing. it. Yeah, I've seen, we're about halfway through. It's pretty funny. It's, it's only right. an hour long. <laughs> you watched 30 Less. minutes and gave up. <laughs> it's like 50 minutes. Yeah. It's like 50 minutes. It's, it's, a, it's also stressful. <laughs> yeah. But it's pretty good. I've been, I'm, I was enjoying that. But yeah. yeah, festive season. We have a list, F and I, of movies. We got five each that we, so 10 in total that we have to watch in December. And we've only just started doing it because it's, so it's been running late and it's hard, like, with the little guy to be able to watch movies and things and have to do it at night and whatever else. But at night you find yourself just washing up and doing things that you don't have time to do in the day. <laughs> what are the what are your five Christmas? Can films? you guess? Home Alone. Yep. Die Hard. Yep. I'm guessing Home Alone Two is not on it. No, it is. Oh, okay, so okay, Home Alone Two, so that's three. My list is really straightforward. <laughs> Um, it's a one. Is, I t- I'll give you a clue, and I bet you'll get it. One on here is a Christmas movie or a movie that I've never seen, but but I should have seen, like Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Mm-mm. I've seen no, I've seen that. Like I love that movie. That is Elf. No, think, is Elf one of them? Elf was on F's list. Shocking. Um, go go think back to what you've just already said was on my list. What, Die Hard? Yeah. The second one? Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> die nice. Hard 2. So die you've Harder. Got, you got Home Alone and Home Alone 2 and then Die Hard and yeah. Die Hard 2. Anything yep. else that... <laughs> and, and then one more, but I don't think you'd, I don't think you'd get it. It's uh, I'll Be Home for Christmas. It's kind of like a Disney TV movie, but it's got Jonathan Taylor Thomas in it. You know, the middle kid from Home Alone. Home Alone, Home Improvement. Home Improvement, yeah, yeah. Um, and basically, he he gets like glued into a Santa suit and has to road trip home. And I enjoy it. It's it's uh, it's a good one. So I was talking about doing this podcast. I was talking about doing Die Hard, and um, it, the the topic of the the two other films had come up. Now I I watched the two other films as well. Just wait, wait, wait. You mean Die Hard two and three? Yeah, just because. Uh, and I've seen them both hundreds of times. But you know there's there's five. I don't count the last two. Okay, and you know they're doing a sixth. I, I don't count the last two. There will not be a sixth in my mind. <laughs> Die Hard 4.0 or whatever it was, was... Let's just... I, you shouldn't have even brought it up, to be honest. <laughs> Do you know, well, Die Hard... It's called, I think it's called Die Hard 4.0 here. In America, it's called Live Free or Die Hard. But that's the first movie that F and I saw together. Oh, so it's a special one. Well, not really, but <laughs> she she she'd like come over to like my parents' house, and we were watching it. And I was like, oh, we should watch watch this. And it was the old. I've got like her hands on the sofa, and like we hadn't we hadn't kissed yet or anything like that. And I was desperately not wanting to be friend zoned. Like I was, it was questionable. I was like, there's there's good. There's good chemistry here. There's good vibes. But please don't look at me as your friend. <laughs> please. I That is not my intention. So as I was watching this film, maybe I was getting inspired by John McClane. I don't know. But I was feeling like I've got to do something. So instead of like a big, you know, bombastic move or anything, I just did the old sly. 
Oh, if my hand accidentally brushed past your hand. Oh, I'm sorry about that. But I'm going to leave my hand there. See what happens. Have you moved your hand? No, you know, I'm talking like 13-year-old moves here. She didn't like pull away and go, ugh. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't pull away. So I just awkwardly left my hand there like this, you know, just, <laughs> just kind of just limp on top of her hand. <laughs> but... <laughs> and then I said to her, I was like, oh, I'll cook for you. And she was like, oh, amazing. And uh, she's a year older than me. Uh, not that that makes much difference, but she's a lot more mature. She's always a lot more mature than I was. <laughs> and especially at this age, like when I was 20, I was 22 at this point. And so I was like, yeah, what do you want? I can make you a bagel. Um, I can put some, um, you know, like chicken nuggets, like corn nuggets in the oven. And I was being really serious. Like, I was thinking, yeah, I'll provide for you. Um, but she was like, I thought you were going to cook. But I made her a, a Marmite bagel. And then I, you know, drove her home. And then as I was, like, leaving, I hadn't done the kiss. I hadn't done anything. And then I just literally went, I can't, I was like, I can't remember what I had to say. I was just like. I have to do it. And I just went in for the kiss and she was like, no, the Marmite. <laughs> because she'd eaten Marmite. For our international listeners that may not know what Marmite is, Australians, it's basically Vegemite, but it's like salty, tar-like Yeast. spread that's coats your mouth and is, I don't know, how would you describe the taste? Just yeasty, yeah, salty black stuff <laughs> that you put on toast <laughs> or bagels well and that was but that was the story of our first kiss and you know almost 13 years later or 13 13 years <laughs> later still it's been over <laughs> well we're, we're married and have a kid you know <laughs> and it started with a little hand move to die hard 4.0 so that one i have to count that one Die Hard 5 is trash. I watched it in the cinema and it was really difficult. It was in like Russia or somewhere for some reason. Is that where he's going to bail his son out? Yeah, yeah, his son's in it. And Did you watch it? Yeah, oh yeah, I've seen him. They're shit. Okay, so you have... <laughs> but Die Hard, Die Hard 3 is good. Die Hard 3 is quality. Like literally, uh, like is the reason you never watched Die Hard 2 because you, you've always thought it's rubbish or not as good or you've seen bits of it and thought this isn't as good or you just never got around to it no i mean so you remember my uh my dad in our like family home there was behind the tv in our living room there's like a uh, like a cove or like a groove in the wall where it would like then go around to like where like a fake fireplace would be you know the 90s you know <laughs> like a fake electric fireplace but that groove in the wall my dad just used as like to stack vhs cassettes and i remember my dad having the die hard 2 video i just never went there i i don't i don't know why i feel like my dad had told me that like maybe it was maybe my dad didn't let me watch it hmm. like I, I don't know maybe i don't know is there like nudity in it or something like i don't know i i've seen like Only a tiny nudity <laughs> okay right at the beginning well, yeah. as well <laughs> is it is it particularly more violent than the first one or anything i i guess so it's a little bit more violent but yeah i like i rewatched it i've watched it loads and loads of times before um not as many times as the first and third one 
because you know they're 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 very very good films. Uh, and the second one, I, I rewatched it. I rewatched them all yesterday. And oh, okay. Like literally one day, Saturday, boom, done. And uh, the second one's actually really good. I really enjoyed it. I watched it thinking this this is this is a good film. There's nothing nothing I don't like about this. It was I enjoyed it. I had a good time. Yeah, I, or I, it's on the list. I've got eleven days to watch it, so it's gonna happen. Uh, it's a shame that hadn't. Well, obviously we're only talking about the first Die Hard, but uh, but yeah, that that um, I'd never seen the second one. The third one I've seen a good few times. Fourth one I've seen. I like the fourth one. I know it's it's very it gets crazy because he's using cars to bring down helicopters and all kinds of crazy. <laughs> crazy things but i still like it but it's sort of like how the fast and furious movies ended up you know in the first one they're just street racing and in the more recent ones they're like driving tanks in the antarctica and stuff and... i've only ever but seen one fast and furious film the first one yeah oh that's a good one i was then didn't ever go near the franchise again <laughs> I have a really soft spot for the third one, which the timeline of Fast and Furious is all mixed up. Like, I don't know how they, like, anyway. I like the third one, which is Tokyo Drift, which is in Japan, doesn't have anyone in it. Like, doesn't have Vin Diesel or, he makes a cameo at the end, but it doesn't have anybody in it. But, oh, you should do it. You should marathon them. They're they're entertaining just for the... He doesn't want to do it. I'm not sure I can bring myself to. <laughs> okay. Well, yes. Yeah, sorry. Tell me about your history with with Die Hard, and I know you're leading on this one. You're gonna, you've, you know, done the the deep dive and everything. But like, when when do you first remember watching this one? Was it one you watched at home? Is it something that like your dad introduced you to? Like, how did it go? I actually think my first watch of it was probably around like Christmas time. Like it being on TV and me catching a, uh, catching some of it when I was a lot younger, um, but I really remember watching it with you. So when we were much yes. younger, it, it was always one of the the choices, one of the the video or DV, or then DVD choices, you know, a little bit later on that that we picked. It was okay. What are we going to watch tonight at ten o'clock? And you know, we've got the snacks, the Doritos, and the dip, and we're ready to go you know? and and Die Hard was pretty much always on the list um yeah yeah just remember it sort of fondly from from those days and our kind of youth and kind of spending time together yeah so I'll always think of this film fondly not just because it's 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 a really good entertaining film and has great action in it and some great lines and and some really good sort of comic moments as well but it just reminds me of kind of a simpler time when we were a lot younger and could just chill out and just watch any shit really we wanted <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's the same I, I remember it being part of like the ten thirty playlist so to speak of ones that that we would go back to and watch a lot and like for me the first time i would have watched it would have been with my dad but he allowed me from a, young, a relatively young age like from probably like I don't know, like eight, nine, ten, like even in them brackets, he would let me watch films like Terminator Two. But like there was, there's one scene in Terminator Two I wasn't allowed to watch. Like he would literally, I'd have to leave the room 
and then I could come back, which you know that film quite well. Mm-hmm. Can you guess what the scene is? I'm trying to think. There's one scene that's a little bit more, <laughs> bit bit more graphic. Imagine if you were a parent with you with your child, you know. Do you want me to tell you? Is it when he pulls like the skin off his arm or something like that? Mm-mm. No, it's when Sarah has the vision or like the or like premonition or whatever of all the kids like melting on the playground because of like the you know Skynet blowing up the world or whatever. Yeah, all the nukes and stuff. I remember. There's like kids just getting disintegrated on swings and stuff. So yeah, it's probably that's probably a good move, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> But he used to let me watch things like Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, like these movies where, and I was saying this to F when we were watching it yesterday, like people are getting shot and things, but it's not like super gruesome and graphic, like where people, if they get when they get shot in films now, that has to be like in the eye and their head explodes and people have to have brain on them and all kinds of gore and shock value we're here it was just like like a tiny like a little ketchup packet just blew up out of his chest and then he's gone like it's just sort of it was a bit more like a like an arcade video game or something so my dad used to let me watch these films and i'd watch them with him and then they would if i loved them like die hard and like lethal weapon that you that was one you know that you and i used to watch all of the time as well watch those uh there's four of them wasn't there or watch those series and so, yeah, and we used to watch it all of the time. And like what we said with, or I said with the first Home Alone, this wasn't necessarily Christmassy to me as a kid. And I know that's a whole big debate. Is it a Christmas movie? It definitely is a Christmas movie. It takes place on Christmas Eve. He's at a Christmas party. There's Christmas music being played at the beginning, at the end, throughout. This is a Christmas movie. We can come back onto that later. I was going to say, you know who doesn't think it's a Christmas movie? Ah. <sighs> your mum Bruce Willis Bruce Willis doesn't think it's a Christmas movie what? yep Bruce Willis uh, has openly come out and said it's not a Christmas movie it's an action movie just set around Christmas did he say this recently or did he say this like near the time uh, because there, there's there's two different Bruce Willis's in the last few years and then let me speak to late 80s, early 90s Bruce. <laughs> Gonna have a word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, my, I, I just remember fond memories of this. I'd watch it all of the time, like year round. I remember some for some reason specifically being in... When we were in primary school and we used to go swimming, we had to queue up outside the swimming pool to like enter to get in. And I remember vividly explaining to people in the line about the part when he's underneath the table and the guy is saying, you know, if you get the chance to kill someone, just do it or whatever he says. And he shoots him through the table. I I butchered it, didn't he? And he goes, thanks for the advice. And I remember explaining to people, that's the coolest thing that anyone's ever said in a movie ever. (laughs) What is the actual line? I know you have like a photographic memory. I don't have a photographic memory. Oh, God. (laughs) Or what? An audio graphic memory. Gosh, I know that. Say the line. He says, uh, "Oh, there's no more table." You know, he does all that, doesn't he? Oh, there's no more table. A piece of advice. Um, if you've got the opportunity to kill someone, 
We should take it. Yeah, it's something yeah, along the lines. Do it. And he's doing his pa, 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 best pa, pa, pa. Al. He's do that guy is doing his best Al Pacino impression while <laughs> doing it. Oh, no, my table. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I just remember loving this film, thinking it's amazing. Do you, do you I, remember I, the? I, yeah. Do you remember the PlayStation game, the original PlayStation game? For sure. I used to yeah. love, love that game. It was so much fun. You could run around Nakatomi Plaza, going up and down, just shooting some German terrorists. Yeah. Awesome. And I I also remember like it, it was an earlier iteration, maybe on like the Mega Drive or something. I remember, or it might have been the same, but maybe, you know, I, yeah, yeah, different console. Yeah. But yeah, awesome film. Always loved it. Always. And I used to remember as a kid, we used to always play Monopoly on Christmas Eve, uh, like as a family. And I remember it would always be on TV as well. And I sp- specifically remember the... You know, when he's in the, uh, like, the air vent and mm. the, come out to the coast, have a couple laughs. <laughs> the light. Yeah. That he's just stolen. Yes. But yeah, definitely. So good. Awesome. So good. Well, well, tell us, my man, what did you find? What you got? Well, I got, I made some quite extensive notes on this one, to be honest. There's there's quite a lot to, to unpack and unravel. Uh, and then we can just talk about it as we as we go through the film. So... Die Hard came out July 1988. You and I were both one. Uh, well, you were barely even one. Wait, it came out in July. That See, that could be an interesting... I never knew that, but that could be an interesting point to say that it's not a Christmas movie because it didn't even come out in, at Christmas time. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that shocked me. You shocked me on the first one. There we go. Straight away, straight in. And it, and it wasn't like a major release. It wasn't like released as a, as a massive film. They released it in um, like a few cinemas across like certain states to see how well it would do and then set it for major release. And it actually did pretty well. Um, in its first sort of few weeks and, and made quite a lot of money. So, yeah. Um, like, is your knowledge of the film just what, like, the content of the film or do you know bits about, I mean, kind of, everybody kind of knows that this is Alan Rickman's first film? Yeah. This, this is kind of one of those facts that's always out there. I guess in there's other ones that you would have picked up on throughout life. And- I think I know about five. I know about five things. And what I'll do is I'll just hold on to them. And if you don't mention them, then I can say them at the end. But if I do mention it, then just, you know, chuck it in there. But what I'd like to get from you first is a quick synopsis of the film. Oh, gosh. I want you to to tell me what happens. (laughs) I'll tell you that the Disney Plus, it's it's streaming on Disney Plus now because it was a Fox movie, wasn't it? And so now they're they're all there. The synopsis was so weak. It was one sentence. It was one, and it really did zero justice to the movie. Like, it actually made me laugh, like, after (laughs) I'd finished it. I finished it at, like, 20 past one in the morning or something. Um, I was just like, this is insane and literally the synopsis said new york cop uh new york cop takes on a team of terrorists at his wife's office building (laughs) that was it that was it (laughs) it's like i guess you're just going on the you know on the strength that everybody knows die hard and it like his reputation precedes it so you just think i don't even need to dress it up but (laughs) I mean, to give a little bit more context, in a nutshell, 
you've got Holly, Gennaro, McLean, and John McLean, married couple. They're living together in New York. Holly, the the wife, she's got a job opportunity out in LA. She goes over to LA, so you know, different ends of the country. And the idea being that John, who's a New York cop, would finish up his cases and then go and join her out there. This puts their marriage under strain, under pressure. This gets spoken about in exposition towards the beginning with Argyle, who we'll talk about later. But potentially, John didn't think it was going to work out for her or had insecurity issues with the fact that she would have like a higher paying job, perhaps, you know, those old uh, tropes. And John comes to, you know, to visit for Christmas on Christmas Eve, goes to Nakatomi Plaza, which is the office building that Holly now works at, which is for a Japanese firm that I'm not 100% sure what they're doing. They build bridges and... They earn a shit ton of money. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> and uh, they've got, we find out later, you know, over $600 million in bearer bonds, I think it's called, which I think basically is like 80s version of Bitcoin. It's like untraceable money, right? And John's at the party and all hell breaks loose when... Hans Gruber and his team, which are sort of coming in as we we think they're terrorists, but they're actually there to to steal the six hundred million dollars from the vault. And John manages to to get free, and it is basically John versus the terrorists with hostages in the middle, with the FBI and police outside, and all hell ensues. And yeah, a lot of people die very hard. <laughs> A perfect synopsis, honestly. That's a great job. Well done. A little round of applause for you there. Oh, thank you. You should be pleased with with that. Yeah, spot (laughs) spot on. Just chaos ensues on, you know, mostly around the 30th floor of the Nakatomi Plaza, um, which is a massive building, which was actually the Fox Plaza building, which was still being that was one that was one that was one that was one that you knew (laughs) that was one of my five i know i know that they also they charged them rent so i'm guessing it was like a tax thing yeah like to move the money around oh did you you got that as well yeah i saw that as well yeah so they 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 charged the the film production rent to use the building so the money just went straight back to them mad Mm -hmm. but clever uh and the the building was still under construction so a lot of the floors that that you see in the film that are having worked on actually were like that because they, they hadn't actually finished making them yet um, and finishing the floors off. So yeah, it was still quite a new building to Fox at the time. So interesting. That's awesome. Well, you haven't seen it, but the movie airheads with Steve Buscemi, Brendan Fraser and Adam Sandler uh, is sort of known. It's sort of like a parody of Die Hard in a way and it actually takes place in the building opposite of Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza, but as in opposite of in real life, like where the um, where they shot it at. Nice. So that's yeah, right. You cool. need to watch that. <laughs> so did you know that um, it's actually based on a book? No, you didn't know this. Okay, good. We found a fact that you didn't know. So uh, it's based so that uh, it's based on a novel um, that was written in 1979 called Nothing Lasts Forever, which that that novel was actually a sequel uh, to a, 
a book called The Detective. And The Detective was a film that was made uh, starring Frank Sinatra. Yeah. And uh, when they were picking the lead for Die Hard, because uh, it was technically the sequel of the book which Frank Sinatra had been in, contractually, they had to offer the part of John McClane to Frank Sinatra, who who was 70 at the time. And thank God he turned it down. (laughs) Oh, God, that would be terrible. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It wouldn't be die hard. It would be die probably. Yeah, (laughs) like die just moving. (laughs) Any minute now. (laughs) Die dodgy ticker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I know, I think I read somewhere, I heard somewhere that they didn't, that like Bruce Willis was quite a low down choice. Like They wanted to go with the classic like Stallone or Arnie or the sort of more typical action star and that at that point bruce willis he'd been in is it like moonstruck or moonlighting or i forget what it's called moonlighting yeah moonlighting and do you remember but he Sybil? Wasn't... no do you remember there used to be a program called Sybil, Sybil alexander i think it was uh, uh, anyway he was in moonlighting with Sybil alexander um uh Sybil shepherd i'm so sorry Sybil shepherd and um yeah, that they they were like a uh, like investigators or something like that, but it was a comedy show. So you're absolutely right. Like he wasn't the the first choice for the film. He wasn't seen as a leading action star. Um, but Die Hard has actually chased changed the face of action films and cinema. Um, you know, from from 1988, the the whole image of that kind of action hero started to change and started to develop because we're so used to big muscly ripped arnie sylvester stallone types that were in uh predator and you know commando and rambo and all of that that when we got to this film and you've got your kind of average new york city cop slash detective who isn't like that you know he kind of looks after himself but not brilliantly and he's always smoking and you know all sorts of things that um this was like such a massive change and and it kind of changed the face of action films and they they went actually you know we can have someone be an action star that's pretty you know pretty standard guy pretty pretty normal Mm. um and yeah this was this was their way of kind of fitting him in but can you guess any others that were on the list to to take the film so arnie and sylvester sloan correct they were they were on on the list can you guess any of the others that I'm trying to think of who who would have been like big and obviously and not like an everyman. I guess if they're uh, who Tom Cruise would well, no, he wasn't like that big yet. Like that was he? Uh, um, he he was quite big because I mean, like Rain Man was the same year. I mean, like Top doing the action movies. I guess Top Gun. Top Gun's an action movie. I guess I, I we associate him now to like all the Mission Impossible movies and what they've become is like the super. They're like more James Bond than James Bond, you know, these days. Uh, I I don't know. I can't I can't think of who else was around in them times. Who who we got? So <laughs> on the list we've got Richard Gere, Clint okay. East, Clint Eastwood. Oh, fuck off, Clint Eastwood. So Clint Eastwood used to own the rights to the to the book. So he he actually owned the rights to the second book, which then became Die Hard. Um, 
because he wanted to make the film he wanted to be in it he wanted to star as as the main character but he then sold the rights didn't have time to do it you know differences in ideas and stuff i just don't i don't know why i just don't like clint eastwood i just get the feeling that he would be a horrendous douchebag in real <laughs> life like i don't know why like, i kind of what what's the vibe that you get from him i'm confident that clint eastwood's not ever going to listen to this podcast (laughs) and even if he does you know clint i don't think you could damage me now okay i think sure (laughs) back in the day fine but now bring it like i'm the every (laughs) man i actually think um he just doesn't he doesn't suffer falls and doesn't take any bullshit and he's not into that kind of like superstar lifestyle that that other actors probably get into or fall into and he's not one for like babying anyone so he does a lot of directing now and if you if you listen to people that have been directed by him he he doesn't it's like takes no prisoners and he wants everything done in one take um and, and i guess you kind of i guess the actors are probably a bit too scared to like challenge that or whatever i can't remember who it was someone had said to clint eastwood once um i didn't think that went too well could we do that again and he turned around and said you want to waste everybody's time sure it's matt, da- <laughs> matt damon oh was it matt yeah yeah and that was it and he just was like oh shit I, you know I, I don't know what to do and um i think tom hanks was directed by him once um and he doesn't say like action or anything like that he just says go <laughs> And then it's like, oh shit, okay. And then it's not cut, it's okay, that's enough. <laughs> and then he just moves on. So Well, I heard that um his son auditioned to be the karate kid, like for the original karate kid movie. Obviously he didn't didn't get it, but because the studio that produced the karate kid, I, f- I forget which one it was, maybe it's like Columbia or something, is owned by Coca-Cola. And uh, there's, so every now, I think in the original Karate Kid movie, he's holding a Sprite can, which is owned by Coca-Cola, right? So, but Clint Eastwood, so angered by this, that to this day, to this day, he does not allow any Coke products to be featured in any of his movies that he's directing or involved in, or to even be on set. Like, he's held a grudge since the 80s wow. to Coke, because, because he... <laughs> because Ralph Macchio is a better actor than his son. Like, what? <laughs> There's just things like I guess I don't he's know. a Pepsi guy. <laughs> yeah, I just have this feeling. I could be completely wrong. If I ever meet him and he turns out to be an amazing guy, I will do a, a public apology. But my just my instinct is, I'm, I don't know. I'm not vibes in, but yeah. So who else? I'm glad. So I'm, I'm glad he wasn't in it. Uh, Harrison Ford could see that. Could have been a, a good John McClane. Has done sort of similar roles, you know. In, you know, airplanes getting taken over, and he's you know winning back Air Force One. He's kind of all of that sort of <laughs> Air Force One. Those kind I just, of films. I'd erase that movie from my memory until you just mentioned that. <laughs> That was ah. Oh, I need to rewatch that. Get yeah, that. sorry, go on. Get that on the go. Burt Reynolds. I think even Burt Reynolds okay. might have been a, an odd choice. It's a lot of old guys, man. Nick Nolte. 
would have just been keep insane. Them coming. Just insane. Um, yeah. Someone we can't mention, but from Lethal Weapon films. Um, yeah. Don Johnson. He would have been good as well. Just to say, not I don't know who Don Johnson is. You mean Mel Gibson? Is. Yeah, Mel Gibson would have been like, he's a prick and... <laughs> yeah we don't give him the time or if we do we it's like we have to put a waiver in yeah he's he's a douchebag he's a prick but in them times he would have like putting that rig sort of element into it and i'm I'm glad it wasn't him obviously Mm. because then i wouldn't be watching it anymore so don johnson was like a tv actor that was in miami vice and stuff like that so famous in the states probably less known over here um, because of all his TV work. As Richard Dean Anderson as well, who played MacGyver and was in Stargate SG-1. Um, it's Colonel Jack O'Neill. Um, Paul Newman. Do you know Paul Newman? No. He was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And Is like, it another like older guy? Yeah. They're really going for like these older guys. Two more. James Kahn as well. Yeah. And Al Pacino. <laughs> Al Pacino would have been nuts. That would have been insane. Can you imagine Al Pacino coked up, fucking off his tits, running around Nakatomi building with a, a with a, a, like machine gun, just shooting people? She'd be shooting hostages, just... wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and just shouting everything. Yippee ki yay! <laughs> Why do you want the fucking detonators? <laughs> Hans, Booby. <laughs> Just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. he would have been nuts. Well, but <laughs> yeah, that would have been crazy if if it had been like six, seven years later, and we were getting to mid nineties. Then like Nick Cage would have been put into into onto that list, wouldn't he? And uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Or maybe even like a John Travolta, like, you know, post Pulp Fiction. Kind of around I don't know, is the there... face-off years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anyone on that list that you think could have held a candle to Bruce Willis? Or you think we got the right choice? I definitely think we got the right choice. Richard Dean Anderson, if you... If you... So if anyone who's listening, is anyone who likes kind of Stargate and stuff like that, he is funny with a gun he honestly he's just he's like a really fun he, he does comedy really well but also does serious and action and stuff so he's actually someone that i i'd never ever considered in my head until i saw him on the list of people that were like up for the role as someone that could potentially have it the rest are all kind of a little bit too serious for me i mean mel gibson was a good shout when you when you mentioned that and harrison ford maybe but the the rest are all a little bit too serious and actiony i think and you, you kind of needed someone that could add that kind of comic element. Um, yeah, is there anyone that sort of stands out to you that you think, yeah, they actually they would have been a great shout? I think the same, yeah. I think Harrison Ford and Mel Gibson. I think we, we're probably also associating some of the traits of their other characters. Like Han Solo has that kind of uh, uh, like sarcasm to him. And then uh Riggs has kind of that you can just see him you could imagine Riggs running around barefoot with a machine gun like yeah. it makes sense <laughs> yeah true yeah we're kind of associating 
kind of the characters that they're linked to in this film, aren't we? So I, I think Bruce Willis has, did, did a fantastic job. So good. For sure. So For sure. He's so, he's so good in it. And the fact that you were saying that this dawned the era or the norm now, that it's more of an everyman rather than... Though we're getting back to some of that Stallone-Arnie era with, like, The Rock, like, yeah. as in Dwayne Johnson, he kind of is bringing some of that back you know some of them he's playing some of them arnie roles but in his own you know uh in his own way in sort of modern times but it makes so much more sense because for audiences and people like us we are just average normal guys so for us to get lost in the fantasy of oh this could be us in there saving the day you know not i mean i know that he is a police officer so he has like training and knows how to use the, all the weapons and everything but it's that idea that this this could happen and we you know we could be the hero whereas when arnie or stallone's the hero as much as you know i love you know their movies as well but i just can look in the mirror and be like well <laughs> That's not me. That's, <laughs> that's someone that literally looks like an action man doll, you know, in real life. So I think it's makes perfect sense. Yeah, it makes it relatable, doesn't it? You can you could turn around and go, yeah, I could see average Joe doing that, and that's you know that's what makes it um, like I guess a bit more accessible for us rather mm. than what like you watch Predator and you think, okay, I would have been dead in the first three minutes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but Arnie just keeps going. <laughs> Do you know yeah. uh, um, any ideas why he turned down Die Hard? Arnold Schwarzenegger, I mean. Yeah, Arnie. Uh, he. I know at one point he was trying to. He wasn't like getting away from uh, action movies, but he went into a spell doing comedy, didn't he? Like he did like Twins and Kindergarten Cop and junior and movies like that so i feel like that's a bit further out but i'm gonna say that that's exactly it so arnold Schwarzenegger decided he wanted to do comedies so well done uh and he wanted to to steer his way into comedy and the same year he filmed and released twins which was also in the in the so die hard was the seventh highest grossing movie of that year and twins was above that <laughs> Well, at least legacy doesn't lie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what was number? Do you know what number one was? Uh, 1988. I'm trying to remember. I one did of, back have to it. the future. One of the uh, back, maybe one of the Back to the Futures. The sequels might have been out around them. I think the oh, no way. The third one came out in 1990. I think uh, it was. <laughs> it was Crocodile Dundee. So the order from from one of course it was <laughs> from one to Die Hard is um, Crocodile Dundee, Twins, Big, okay. good film, uh, Coming to America, great film, yeah. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, good film, yeah. Rain Man, oh great film, and then Die Hard. Well, there's some good. There's some good. Crocodile Dundee is the outlier there. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. It's Crocodile Dundee too. <laughs> it's the it's the sequel. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Just nuts. Absolutely nuts. But that's a good list, though, of movies. They're all movies that I'd enjoy, including Crocodile Dundee. You know, they're yeah. all movies that I'd happily watch. So. So Bruce had actually turned down 
Die Hard originally. He wasn't going to do it. And the reason was is because he was still filming Moonlighting at the time. So him and Sybil Shepherd were filming Moonlighting. It was a really busy schedule and he didn't have the time to do both until Sybil got pregnant. Uh, Sybil? Yeah, Sybil got pregnant. Sorry, I don't know what's wrong with me today. Sybil got pregnant and it allowed him at time to to go and do the filming because she needed like extra breaks and then there was like an 11 week gap between mm-hmm. like her having the baby and then filming again so he used those 11 weeks to then film die hard which is awesome. crazy it's mad to think that they you know you could squeeze that in in such a short amount of time i mean it wasn't the whole 11 weeks that they were filming. it was longer but he he then started getting knackered like so tired um between um uh, filming Moonlighting and then filming Die Hard then eventually got a break so that there were scenes written in for Holly Janeiro that were, that didn't exist before so that Bruce could have a day off and have a break <laughs> so they could spend the day filming like the Holly stuff so like Holly phoning the kids and phoning the maid hola Mr. Simon she we all know that she's the real hero of the show and she saved everyone he was she was saving the dinner Mr. Simon yeah, look after your children. <laughs> and she loved it. As soon as... So F's only seen this film, like, twice. And once was with me in the cinema, like, be- just before COVID started. And then once was, like, on TV, like, you know, in childhood and whatever. So she doesn't know the film as well as we do. have seen it, like, 20 or 30 times. And she's like, oh, I'm just going to call home to speak to, you know, the nanny or whatever. And F said instantly, she was just like... She she's gonna be she's gonna be Mexican she's gonna be because it's kind of a like, <laughs> it was and what well, is she may still be with us I hope she is in the what in the planet I mean alive I hope she's alive Dom okay go, go with that. alive or dead <laughs> but, um, but actually sparked an interesting but sad conversation because it's actually like a serious thing in in California specifically because it's just over the border from Mexico that it's kind of like there's some modern like almost like slave labor happening where uh people you know emigrate illegally over into America um and then they because of that they're getting paid like cash under the table but they get paid like minute amounts of money mm. and so you've got these super rich people in LA using this like super cheap labor and um you know or and exploiting uh you know yeah people from mexico so it's terrible so actually holly let's <laughs> hope she's she's paying her a decent wage at least <laughs> yeah we hope so i'm guessing she's so, yeah. live in she's live in yeah yeah it, she's, it, she's it, not going situation. anywhere is she She's like, yeah. I've made the food for Mr. Mr. John, Mrs. Holly. <laughs> Shut up and get back to work. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> it's funny because when we used to record these in person, Dom would get a bit crazy towards the end of the night. I like would finish and it'd be like almost one in the morning and Dom would just start cleaning the office. <laughs> Calling me Mr. Simon. <laughs> pretending to have a feather duster. Hello, Mr. Simon. <laughs> and she had a, like this character that I invented had a, like a, like a bad back. There was like leaning bit over. Of a hunch. Bit of a hunch. Bit of a hobble. 
He's our sidewalk. <laughs> oh, good times, eh? Good times. That must be coming up to two years ago. Oh, scary. Like, scary. Oh, no. Wait, we started that in the summer, didn't we? So. Yeah. Yeah. Bleh. <laughs> Hans. <laughs> Booby. <laughs> Booby. I mean. I'm your white knight. Apparently, that line's improvised, but I don't know if it is. I'm hoping it's one of your factoids. That is a little factoid on my list. It was an improvised line. And apparently, so I went back and checked. I went back and looked. Alan Rickman is supposed to look a bit like miffed by it, like really unsure why the fuck he's just said that, because he had no idea it was coming. And actually, when you watch it, Alan Rickman's like... (laughs) What? And then just carries on. <laughs> it's just like, there's this, it's just literally a split second and then he just carries on. Just like, okay, I'm glad I get to shoot this guy in a minute. <laughs> so good. Hans, booby. I'm your white knight. Is the white knight bit improvised as well? That, uh, whole, that whole line. It's not just the booby bit. Just the booby bit, apparently. Oh, just the booby. He's meant to say, Hans, I'm your white knight. Yeah. Hans. Booby, like, what was he thinking? Perfect, 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 perfect. But yet, underneath Crocodile Dundee, the fucking sequel. <laughs> He's not talking to crocodiles and going, Crocky, booby. <laughs> to be no. fair, that's the one where Crocodile Dundee ends up in like New York, I think. He's in America, so there's not even any crocodiles there. Oh, God. So it's just... <laughs> to get trapped in a zoo or something oh fuck knows i can't really remember but i just remember him going that's that's the film that has you call that a knife that's a knife it's that oh i only know that from the simpsons (laughs) yeah you've played knifey spoonie before (laughs) that's that's all i know that from Uh, yeah someone (laughs) someone goes to like mug him on the subway and they got a knife and he's he like laughs at him he's like what you laughing at and he's like you call that a knife and he just pulls out this fucking massive knife he's like that's a knife and they run away it's quite quite entertaining (laughs) i'm just imagining cat's reaction while listening to this (laughs) but when uh, ellis he plays the the guy that plays him i'm not sure of the actor's name but he perfectly embodies the 80s and cocaine yes so i mean perfectly it's up around in his nose he's all sorts of a fucking mess um and and it's 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 crazy like funny enough one of the like as you're reading the facts about the film as well there's a there's a mistake in his name or that appears to be a mistake in his name and that holly calls him harry is that his actual name? Well, I'm not sure. Because when... Like, if you look on... So let me just flick through. I'm just going to flick through my notes very quickly. <laughs> I mean, is is Harry the actor's name? Or are no. you saying is, is maybe the character's last name Ellis? Well, y- yes. So if you look on IMDb, the, the actor's name is Hart Boschner or Boschner. And okay. it just says, as Ellis... So throughout the film, he's called Ellis. John McClane calls him Ellis. He is a total <laughs> douchebag. He's an absolute Perfectly. prick. Oh, he's amazing at it. He's, he's, you know, he's got the can of Coke. He's got Coke up his nose. He's like... Clint, Clint Eastwood would hate it. Show, show him the watch. 
sure we got we got it. it's a rolex you know that bit it's just rolex. like oh what an asshole but like a perfect asshole. a perfect rich hedge fund asshole right <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. perfect um, so good and right at the beginning when holly holly's walking through the corridor of like she's still doing work before she gets to go to the, mm. the christmas party she says like harry you know like i've got time like we've not heard of christmas or, or whatever but she calls him harry and then throughout the rest of the film it's, it's never referenced again he's called ellis and i i went back and, and checked i had do my due diligence and yeah <laughs> she definitely says harry but he's listed as as ellis everywhere except for like if you google his name and you know when you google the film it comes up with all the stars from like every version of the film he's on it as harry ellis but nowhere else is he is he harry ellis he's just no labeled as ellis um because not not many of them have surnames except holly who's got two <laughs> right oh i like that then that's i feel like then that's what it's meant to be his first name's harry but everyone calls him ellis We'll go with that. We'll we'll write that in. We'll we'll make that film history now. We'll archive that. Yeah, I have a couple of friends that are last names. Like they're known by their last names only. Yeah. And like to be to for someone to refer to them as their first name sounds odd. Which you know, I don't know. <laughs> just, just follow what people follow what people say. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? Well, I mean, the the list goes on. It goes on and on and on. The, originally, John McClane wasn't going to be called McClane. He was going to be called Ford. Uh, and the reason they changed it from Ford is that there was a director called John Ford who had died at the end of the 70s, and they thought it'd be disrespectful. So they changed the name to McClane. Um, okay. So it could have been uh, Holly Ford instead. That would have been different. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about let's talk about Alan Rickman. So love Alan Rickman. You, you know how old Alan Rickman was when they filmed this? Was was he like forty? So yeah, so he's forty two, and this was his first like major film role. So he'd done a lot of theatre acting and stuff like that. But can I just say what a fantastic villain? And he also changed the the scope of villains from then on. You know, like villains all used to be these crazy, like evil brainiac lunatics that had like a horrible maniacal plan and Gruber played by Rickman was just completely changed that for cinema and you you notice that kind of change from this point where they've gone from being these horrendous lunatics to these kind of calm calculated kind of yeah not not just like scary scary lunatics tell me tell me about Hans Gruber Hans Booby I'll <laughs> Hans Booby Gruber. Oh, I love I love him. He's got to be he's up there as one of the best villains of all time. And the way Alan Rickman plays him is so perfect. I love everything you just said like his calm demeanor, the fact that he's so organized, he pulls out like his notepad because he's he wants to say, you know, this little speech and he's got it all sort of planned out. He knows uh how do we say it? Takagi. Yeah. Yeah, we, he knows like Takagi's suit and where it's from, and you know I've I've got two myself. Like in his, like even when when they're in the elevator at that point, it's just business to him. It's like he's just eh, I'm just going into to my to my next meetings, making small talk, and then it comes into you know I'm going to counter free scene, you know, and then it okay it steps up, but it's all planned. Like even the two henchmen in that scene know what's going to happen, you know, when they're making the bet. 
and it's just like, well, it's not over yet because they know that Hans is going to count to three. You know, it's like it's all just... He's like a professional. He's a businessman. And Adam Rickman plays that so well. The fact that there's a point within the movie where he is in... Alan Rickman is an English man in real life playing a German a German who's then pretending to be American. You know, that's that's how how he managed to keep track of the accents in that scene is mind boggling. Yeah, it wouldn't be the same without him. And his chemistry with Bruce Willis, especially like in that scene, that's the first time they're like face to face. It's so good. It's such a great pairing yeah perfect i love alan rickman rest in peace to him of mm. course um yeah he, he's got a perfect voice hasn't he his voice is amazing and everything he's done all the harry potter films as well got to kind of uh, acknowledge that and just the way he's kind of brought like so much scope just from like voice work um and, and Exactly like you said, doing a German accent to then having to switch to an American accent, even though he's a British actor and uh, j- just brilliant. And funny enough, that scene that you're talking about. So Hans Gruber runs into John McClane by accident. He's kind of put his gun down, is doing some stuff on the roof. Uh, it's when he's like basically putting the detonators in the C4 and he's ready to blow the roof um, near like the middle of the film. And... He then has to pretend to be Bill Clay. Bill Clay, that's right. I said Paul Clay uh, the other day when you quizzed me on it, and annoyingly, Paul Clay is an artist, and I'd seen like Paul Clay stuff not not too long ago. So very annoying that I didn't get that right, but I was close. I was close. But Bill that Clay is the sort of thing. Knowing you, that's the sort of thing that would like keep you up at night. Well, I've You'll, like wake since. up at four in the morning and be like. It was Bill Clay. <laughs> Bill Clay. Bill. <laughs> so Clay WM. Um, yeah, so Bill Clay. And that scene wasn't originally going to be in the film. It was written in on the back of, um, I think the director heard Alan Rickman doing an American accent. And he went, do you know what would be great? Is if he runs into McLean and we write that in and he, he has to change his voice or something. So they wrote it in. So originally... That scene was actually McLean killing Theo. But they took that out, kept Theo in, um, and had him bump into Alan Rickman and bump into Gruber and did the and had him do the American accent and become Bill Clay. Uh and they didn't let them rehearse it as well. They they said, oh, we're not gonna let you rehearse it. You can obviously read the lines and learn the lines and stuff, but you're just gonna do it and the the the, the kind of first shot we get of it we're going to try and keep so do it as best as you can because they wanted it to seem so like natural and scared and unusual and mm. and kind of weird and, and unrehearsed so that it it looked better which i think is and awesome. trying and it's like they're trying to work each other out so and that's yeah that's great and the fact that he that mclean doesn't kill theo allows argyle to finish his arc because he gets to you know punch him out at the end so that worked out perfectly exactly yeah and i'll go again the hero of the film <laughs> who i told you this didn't i i've spoken to in dms on instagram to try and get him to come on and he said he was going to speak to his agent and i won't hold my breath because i'd be dead by now several times because <laughs> that was a good couple months ago also, so talking to his agent also means i want money for this <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, we're not making that kind of money yet. <laughs> Manscape aren't coughing up in big bucks yet. But once Soon that four enough. million goes up to five million because the you know units sold after our podcast is impacted, then I'm sure they'll come back lawnmower. 4.0 <laughs> but yeah no it's the the casting is great if you were going to yeah, cast someone funny. else as gruber who would you I couldn't no one no? just pull the plug on the movie he, <laughs> we, you couldn't replace him he's he's too good i mean and actually it goes to show with the antagonists i know i haven't seen the second one but the antagonists in all the other die hard movies they can't match up they don't match up i mean someone right. someone that's a good antagonist is uh oh, i've forgotten his name he's got the crazy teeth um who's the antagonist in the first lethal weapon that's nick nolte no oh not nick gary nolte. Busey. yeah gary uh, Busey. back back then like you know i mean he, I mean, I, he, no, he's never going to be better than Alan Rickman, but he's a good antagonist in Lethal Weapon. So, um, Alan Rickman wasn't originally the first choice for Hans Gruber. He wasn't a film star. He was lucky enough to be seen um, performing on stage, and that's what got him the role. Uh, he then became the first choice from being seen, but before that, the role was offered to someone else. Any idea who? Can I have any kind of clue oh if i give you a clue you'll get it straight away that's the problem it's another he, this guy was in another massive film that we love and have podcasted oh we have an episode out about the, about the film he's in can i have like the rough year that the movie came out 91 91 no, 2 or 3 93 93 <laughs> 93 oh boy i don't i don't know 93 i don't know i'm just checking now <laughs> is it a kids movie or an adult movie both both it's it it's more joe pesci no not joe pesci yeah it's 93 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i was right 93 it's, it's a one of the all-time greatest films ever. Uh, is it's definitely on my shelf then. Almost certainly on your shelf. Oh man. Oh, I don't know. Ninety-three. We've podcasted uh, it about it as well. I know. We've podcasted so many though. No, not little giants. <laughs> I well, say it's, it's, mighty, it, it's more of an adult film than a kids film, but kids love it as well. Uh, no, I don't. I don't know. You're gonna have to. <laughs> well, who? Jeff Goldblum. Sam, Sam Neil. Sam Neill. Sam Neill of Jurassic Park fame was offered. I just can't see him being mean. Was offered the role as Hans Gruber. That's crazy. Until they, saw I can't him. imagine him being mean. I can. I've seen films where he's mean. 
What what's he been meaning? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> now you're being mean. Being mean to Sam Neil. He's in um, Peaky Blinders, isn't he? He's quite mean in that. If you've if you've ever him. if you've not watched Peaky Blinders, even if you just got like a YouTube clip of him as his character in Peaky Blinders, he's really good. Really, really good in it. Um and he's this like Irish kind of police detective from that era and he's horrible he's really nasty so yeah he's he he does nasty well he's a great actor i'm sure that i'm i'm sure that he could do it i'm not like saying anything like that um but it's just it's so hard once you've known that character and you know it you know alan rickman in it to imagine anybody else within it like it's that's an easier question if you think the performance is trash you know but when the performance is so good, it's like, well, I just can't imagine anybody else in there. I mean, is there anyone else that you think could have fit the bill? No, not really. I mean, Alan Rickman as as the part is so good. Oh, what about Gary Oldman? Like, Ooh. you know, in them days of like, you know, when he was like the crazy villain in um, like Leon and stuff. Yeah, he's he's got that edge about him hasn't he and could probably do the accent as well yeah that's a good shout if we were recasting yes. it i think i think gary i'd be like yes simon casting you are the casting director right now that is your role Does that makes up for my gary Busey shout <laughs> <laughs> that was a get out of my office kind of moment <laughs> yeah you got the, I wrong just, gary. I got the, the wrong gary it was the wrong <laughs> gary yeah oh my god we should write a film called the wrong gary <laughs> and it's all about Gary Busey accidentally getting cast in Gary Oldman films. <laughs> yeah, we're always sending Gary Busey these scripts because we can't remember Gary Oldman's name. <laughs> well, okay, actually, I've had an idea for a movie, right? Um, I'm going to put this out here to you on the podcast and I'll know if it's any good uh, of just a, a general premise if... Firstly, from your reaction, and then also if any listener ever comments on it anywhere, okay? <laughs> so this has come from... F and I, we keep taking our little guy to the farm because mm. there's the farm, Willows, that's near you, is really good for kids because it has, like, soft play there. Obviously, it's got the animals, but it's got, like, little rides and stuff. So we've go, we've gone there a few times, and every time I'm there, I'm looking at, like, the pigs and the goats and all the rest of it, and I keep thinking... This is a crazy way, you know, that we treat animals, like in terms of, I know I'm I'm vegetarian, but even still, you know, like milk and all the rest of it. And I was thinking, this is just absolutely insanity. Imagine if the world was flipped round and humans were pigs, right? Like as in humans were put in, were like treated like pigs and chickens and like farmed for milk and meat and all the rest of it. And imagine... And then in that world, you've got, like, sheep and cows that are, like, humans, right? And as... But imagine the, one day some of... Two of the humans sort of gain a... Not, like, consciousness, but their minds start to become humans as we are humans and start to re- revolt and have to sort of try and escape and create a revolution. <laughs> are the humans... Is that absolutely... Are the humans used as food? Are they, are they yeah just... as as food milk the same way like cows are you know they're milked they're for cheese and for 
meat and the rest of it and you know you could imagine there'd be scenes where they're like they escape from like the slaughterhouse like i'm talking this is like an adult film you know there's like gore and craziness in it is it absolutely nuts this is the first time i've said it out loud and i mean it's a, i don't feel like it's a bit nuts but it's not it's not the worst idea ever <laughs> i'm just trying to think is it is it how close is it to animal farm because Animal Farm is, is like, although it is animals on our farm, it's like, it's more about social commentary, isn't it, than it is about actually mm-hmm. actual animals. So, but, um, but I think it's like, it could be I, like a dark comedy, like a very dark comedy. terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Horror, horror, dark comedy. What would we call it? Um, Farming is alarming. Oh, <laughs> Farm alarm. Farm alarm. I like it. I'm trying to think. Or, um, just get Gary Busey on the phone. <laughs> He'd fucking do it as well, I reckon. <laughs> we could probably crowdfund a couple grand together. We'd get him in. Oh, my God. We'll get him a flight over once he's allowed. We could get Clint Eastwood to direct as long as we have no Coke no Coke products on set. No Coke. No Coke at all. Just Pepsi. Oh my Give God. his son a role. He can finally get him, get involved. And we'll, we'll, his son can be... Some sort of karate... Cheese Kid 3. <laughs> there we go. His son is probably in his 50s or 60s now. <laughs> His son, his son gets to eat Ralph Macchio somehow. Yeah. Or <laughs> gets to slaughter him. <laughs> oh, poor Ralph. Well, um, okay. Are you in? I'm in. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm happy to help with this this process. Co-write. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I've I've done my part. I've given you the premise, and you need to turn churn that butter. Hmm into gold maybe that's what it could be called i don't really Churn want the to, butter. Th- to think about human butter to be honest <laughs> that's what it could be called human, human butter, butter. <laughs> you won't believe it's not human butter <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay okay yeah so we'll we'll work on that yeah i'm in <laughs> human camembert jesus christ <laughs> okay sorry how do we get there Oh, I can't really remember. Oh, who do you have anyone that you think would be good, you know, to play Hans Gruber besides Alan Rickman? I think you've picked the best choice. You picked the best baddie. Can I tell you my a couple of my other little facts? I only had like two more, I think. Yeah, smash it down. You, you probably know them. Um, I forget the guy's name, but the guy with the blonde haired terrorist or Carl. not terrorist, are they? Carl was a, a ballerina oh nice i didn't know that i hadn't found that and information he only had like two film credits and sadly he passed away not long after die hard oh. in real life obviously yeah um and the german that they speak in the movie is not real german it's kind of like gibberish german that they made up and is it mctiernan the director uh yeah he the 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 actors they'd sort of made it into their own language so they could kind of understand each other of what they were saying 
and McTiernan, the director, got so paranoid that they were talking about him when he was like there, like talking about him, that I think he like banned it on set or something like that. Or uh, maybe he didn't ban it. I don't know, but he was like paranoid about it. And then when they released it into Germany, uh, because they, you know, uh, you know, aren't actually speaking German, they like ADR'd or changed some of it to just say they were just European terrorists or robbers, you know, didn't make it specific to Germany. That's that's that's, that's, that's really, all I have. That's really really good. Like, I mean, the the main reason why they didn't use actual German is because none of them were actually German, right? <laughs> or were they all just American? Uh, well, we've English, different parts of Europe. You know, like they're from all sorts, like all over the place, basically. But yeah, the reason they're not German is just that, like, bet none of them were German, so they didn't use like real German, which always makes me think of the scene where they're shooting the glass. And he says, lo, 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 And then he goes, shoot the glass. <laughs> it's just like, I actually think maybe Carl just doesn't understand him because he's just talking <laughs> shit. And he's just like, what the fuck are you saying? And he has to go, shoot the glass. <laughs> I, I say that. I've been saying that to F for like the last few days. Shoot the glass. <laughs> it's so good. And then John's thing later of, who gives a shit about glass? <laughs> when... <laughs> the fbi guy outside is like there's glass everywhere <laughs> who gives a shit about glass <laughs> He's so like, yeah, good you're running a shit show <laughs> sort of thing I love I love that bit where John when they're shooting the glass and John's sort of like in the corner and he's just like Jesus Christ because <laughs> that is how you'd feel they're literally like emptying the clips like in his direction like he's in like a war zone yeah that like I mean there's glass going off there's a small explosion there's flashes everywhere there's bullets pinging all around him he's gonna be screaming because <laughs> yeah. it's like it's not like he's like a soldier or something like he's a police officer isn't it? he's not used to seeing this kind of action crazy absolutely crazy well that always there's always one bit that um i'm always so surprised that because it's you know it's supposed to be that action film and that kind of movie and he's a cop but when alan rickman shoots so when gruber shoots takagi he always looks so shocked bruce willis always looks so shocked and um like then like panics and runs away and i always think that's brilliant because it's like oh he's genuinely like scared now he's genuinely worried there's like mm. a nervousness and like right from the beginning of the film we have that you know he's famous for it john mcclain's famous for talking to himself and saying all these lines like you know and he riles himself up or he calls himself an idiot or he just panics about things and just all sorts of things just throughout the film he's talking to himself and it kind of that kicks off right from the beginning and it's perfect and he carries that through the entire film but his reactions to things like that always really stunned me and i don't think bruce willis like particularly at this time bruce willis had no like cred he was a tv actor loads of people saying he shouldn't have been in the movie loads of people said that he shouldn't have um you know had kind of had that opportunity and then he just went from strength to strength to strength didn't he you know from from that point and and actually when you watch it you realize he's not just your muscle bound action i'm gonna blow everything up as soon as i arrive kind of actor he is a, a decent actor he knows what he's doing you know and he he's got good craft yeah, for sure. I think he is the ultimate example of 
when he shows up and he cares and he tries, he can he is an amazing actor and puts in great performances, can be very nuanced, can make him be sort of subtle and understated with what he's doing. Doesn't it's not always like over the top at all uh, with him. And then he's got movies where it's a paycheck and he's just showed up for the check. And and unfortunately, for the last good amount of years that he's just been doing that, he's just been showing up for the check. And hey, I'm all for it. I mean, I don't watch them movies, but I'm all for Bruce getting his pay. But, uh, you know, his his performances in this, uh, in like Unbreakable, Pulp Fiction, you know, to name a couple... Uh, yeah, really good, really good. Unbreakable is a great film. That's definitely one worth revisiting. Do you, do you like that one? Yeah, I've seen that a few times. It's, it's a good, it's a good film as well. Um, Six Sense, you didn't mention. He's oh, Six Sense, pretty good in that. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, just going back to Unbreakable, there's more glass stuff there. You know, Samuel Jackson is. They called me Mister Glass. <laughs> Bruce Willis has this link to glass forever now. Yeah, but I mean, and I feel like if he was to get a script or something that in was to become motivated, he still has it in him to pull out really great performances. I mean, to bring it onto a One Tree Hill uh, section for a very brief second. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. His um, Bruce Willis has just done like two maybe three he's either that two have been released and i think a third one is going to be released soon movies with chad michael murray Ooh. like sort of sh- straight to straight to dvd type situations uh but the most recent one i just know this because i've seen it on instagram it's called fortress and i think it's bruce and chad in like prison like breaking out of some prison together or something <laughs> Which, I mean, to to you, you're probably hearing me say Lucas and John McClane <laughs> breaking out of prison together. Oh, God. I don't know how to take that information. <laughs> I, I'll watch the film. Oh, I haven't seen it myself, so maybe we should watch them together. What's it called? The Fortress. I think it's called Fortress, yeah. So and, many, and there was a... No- there's so many, like, prison breakout films out there. Like, mm. what new could be done with that? Luke, Lucas, Eugene Scott, <laughs> and John McClane. That's what's new. <laughs> Lucas, Eugene, Jackson Turner. <laughs> he just takes John McClane to hide out at the river court. <laughs> This is my mom, Karen. Oh, have you met Mel? And do you know? <laughs> wait, do you know who else is just? It might be the same movie. If it's the same movie, it would be nuts. But if it's not, it might be a different movie. You know who else has just done a movie with uh, Bruce Willis? And this is someone I think you will be happy about. No idea. The James Lafferty. Paul Paul Johansson. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, now you change your tune. <laughs> I have nothing against Chad at all. I just hate Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you'd be interested in watching that. Yeah, let's 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 do a marathon. Let's do them both. It's not really Ooh. a marathon, but 
Okay. Let's watch all the diehards, and then we'll watch that. <laughs> Discounting four and five, of course, because they don't really exist. Of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, should, what what should we do? Should we take it in order? What do you mean? The movie, Die Hard. Yeah. Let's start from the the beginning. Well, well, there, well, wait, well, where, are you, or where are you winding down? Well, no, we're no. to the end right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think we can go through, like, chunks of the film. Yeah, yeah, we it don't have, have to, to be do like, it scene by scene. Scene by scene yeah, like yeah, we yeah. used to. But, okay, so we, we have the, the beautiful start-off of the film. We're on an airplane. The plane's landing. Mm. John's holding on for dear life onto those arms. And the guy next to him, he says... You don't like flying, do you? And he, he identifies that he hates flying. Great acting. He's got this shit figured out. And he gives him some advice. Some sound and solid advice that I have never, ever, ever once tried. <laughs> I don't have an issue with flying, so I guess that's probably why. But Do you not? No, I, I quite like flying. I enjoy it. Ter- I'm terrified. Are you really? Yeah. Ooh. And I, in, in 2017... I think we did like almost 30 flights in a year. Um, Jesus. Yeah, we did a lot of traveling. Uh, like a lot of it was in one trip. Like we did a one long trip. Um, and it was lots of like little flights here, there and everywhere. Don't, please don't hate me people for the carbon footprint. This was, this was before. <laughs> before it existed. Before carbon was a problem. <laughs> Just before. It was before, Dom, okay? It was before. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, we, li- we literally went around the world, like, around... We did, a- we did a whole circuit, but broken up into loads of little flights and whatever. And, um, but terrified, because- mainly because of Lost. That's what started it, because, you know, of the horrific plane crash. Um, but yeah, also just, it's the feeling of, uh, I wouldn't survive this. Uh, I, do you know what? I, I can appreciate that and I totally understand that. So the advice the guy gives is take your shoes and socks off, walk around barefoot on the carpet and make fists mm. with your toes. And it kind of makes you feel a bit better about life. Now, when it comes to flight and traveling, is one thing that you have to realize and understand is that it's completely out of your control. And no matter who you are in the world, unless you're the pilot, of course, but and no matter who you are in the world, if you're a passenger in that plane, it's completely out of your control. So why worry? That, like, if, if anything happens to the aircraft, if anything goes wrong, if anything goes... There's nothing you can do. So why worry? But do you know what I'd feel better about? Is if I can have a parachute... Uh, on like a backpack kind of thing just strapped onto my back like I feel like or like every every seat there should be a parachute underneath okay if it starts to go down doesn't mean that I'm gonna survive with a parachute jumping out of like a hurtling plane that's going towards the concrete or the ocean but I would like a fair chance give me that opportunity why not like I don't keep the parachute I give it back at the end of the flight and if you're so confident that we're going to land, then it's it's no gamble to you, airline, is it? But just 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 in case, why not? Throw in a rubber dinghy in there as well, just in case. <laughs> Some food and supplies. Radio. Jesus Christ. Satellite radio. 
couple it, books. A books, okay. iPod? Our top, top five favourite TV shows that <laughs> we've classified on the podcast. Just a couple things. Change of clothes. A knife. A lighter. Hmm. I'm just thinking about Castaway. What else did he struggle with? <laughs> Would you like a volleyball? Dentistry set. <laughs> yeah. That volleyball, the Wilson, it just sold record-breaking auction. I shared it on my Instagram. It sold for like $344,000. Was it a replica, though? No, it was the one. It was the actual one? Yeah. Crazy. That's mental, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> mental. Like, the, the John McLean's vest is in a um, museum. museum because it's so... Like revered, isn't it? <laughs> Iconic. Yeah, it's awesome. Or um just back on the flight for on John McLean's flight. That is great um advice. And I've I've done it before, like yeah, on carpet. It does feel good. It's like releasing tension. I think two things. One he told him that advice at the end of the flight, like the plane's just landed. <laughs> like he just ignored him the previous five hours <laughs> with John McClane's like ripping off the armrests. Just like nervous flyer now that we've landed. Uh, and, then, and then the other thing is, is only on this viewing and only because F mentioned it, that actually, do you actually think that the uh, make fists with your toes is actually just a plot device to get him with his shoes off? Yeah. So that he's barefoot. I never even put that together. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. definitely. We need to get him in a situation where his shoes are off and shoot the glass so he has cuts on his, all over his feet. Shoot the glass. <laughs> shoot the glass. <laughs> can you can you say two things in a Hans Gruber voice? Come on, this is your thing. You do the act. Someone wrote in the in a review that they're one one of their favourite points of our podcast is you doing the accent. So Oh god. For that just for that person at least. <laughs> I need to hear Hans Gruber say Ho, 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 now I have a machine gun. And I need to hear him say, Yippee-ki-yay. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. <laughs> it's Let's n- go. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Did I say it the wrong way around? You did. But I forgive yeah, you. Okay. I forgive you. No, no, no. No, no, no. I can see the look in your eye and, well, the shake of your head. While like, yeah, the disappointment. <laughs> the disappointment. It's like you're Clint Eastwood and I'm his son coming back from the Karate Kid audition. <laughs> How did it go? You got it wrong. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> no coke. Take, take, take this can of coke with you. <laughs> Shove it up your ass. <laughs> and bring me back a Pepsi Max. <laughs> cherry. Cherry. <laughs> Oh, Pepsi Max cherry. Clint Eastwood chugging down a Pepsi Max cherry. I wish I could draw because there's some of the shit we come up with. I would honestly draw and be like, "This is hilarious." I might eat. I might try. You should. It'd be even funnier <laughs> if it's if it's not. If good. it's awful, I, that would be awful. Trust me. I told <laughs> another quick side tangent of when me and F first met. We did a. We worked at a college together, so we'd get 
you could go on to evening classes for free. It was like a perk of working there. And I told her that I could draw quite well. And I used to think that I could because I could draw Bart Simpson like freehand. Like I had Bart Simpson's head down. I could do a Snoopy. I thought I could, you know, very basic shapes. I thought I could draw. So I was like, yeah, and I thought this would be a good opportunity to impress her. Again, this is 22-year-old Simon that thinks putting bagels in a toaster is cooking, you know. <laughs> and so we went to a life drawing class and we get in there and there's a 65-year-old woman that just derobes completely naked. And not like, you know, what I imagine Jennifer Lopez would look like when she's 65, but, you know, an actual 65-year-old woman in reality, you know, and, and hey, more power to her, you know, but there were... I was shocked, let's just say the least. <laughs> and I tried to draw, and it was just terrible, absolutely horrendous, like, cartoon kind of drawing. I did it so small in the middle of this massive, like, A3 piece of paper. And then partway through, the naked woman walks round and looks at what you've drawn. And I was now being judged by a naked woman next to me, also being judged by the by the woman I'm trying to court, who later ended up having my child and I got her hand in marriage so obviously the picture wasn't completely irredeemable (laughs) but it was an embarrassing situation and then the next day the woman comes in I had to cover reception for a minute because uh, the receptionist has gone on like lunch break or whatever and this woman comes up and it's like oh can you tell me where this that and the other is and I'm like oh yeah I I think it's just down there to the right or whatever and she's like oh you don't recognise me and I was like oh excuse me she's like you don't recognise me with my clothes on. <gasps> oh, it's you. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> to another art class, are you? Did you say, you PKA motherfucker? <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> I can't do the accent. Now I have a machine gun. So there, there we go. That's all I've got. Nice. <laughs> it, in, uh, Lex and Matt from Lex and Matt's Excellent Adventure, Matt is really good with um, like Photoshop and stuff. And so they do, when they have something on the podcast, that they're on their podcast that they've done, they like make stickers and memes and things like what you were saying. And then they send them to their patrons. Cool. And speaking of which, Dom, I have a little surprise for you. I ordered uh, 60, 60, enamel pins you know like uh proper uh, pins enamel pins you know what i'm talking about like pins like badges uh, yeah like badges but they're like you know like metal like high quality Hmm. you know metal ones uh of our new podcast logo of the ravens so i thought give you some but also to give out to some of our ravens very nice it's a good idea yeah Actually, from Lex, she suggested it. She said she wanted one. I was like, okay, I'll order. I'll, I'll order some. I thought I'd just order a handful, and it was actually like the higher quantity you do, the cheaper it becomes. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll just order sixty. Always the way. <laughs> Always get sixty thousand. <laughs> yeah. So I'll uh, I'll give you some when they come. Awesome. But yeah, okay. So he gets off the plane. The air hostess woman that he walks past. She's giving him the eye, right? Yeah, there's some serious eye contact. There's a bear that's awkwardly watching them. But yeah, she's like, hey man, you're John McLean. And 
<laughs> and when he's like in the he's smoking in the airport because the 80s <laughs> and like uh his, his kind of thing is he's kind of a bit bamboozled by california in comparison to new york right like the woman the blonde woman like runs past him and like straddles like her boyfriend or husband or whatever in the like luggage claim bit and he's all a bit like you know when like the guy kisses him <laughs> at, the at the party, party. like merry christmas he's like fucking california <laughs> he's not he's not sure what to do is he so we we get we we get to the airport and he's going through and exactly like you said california is a bit of a whirlwind um i think he spends most of the time checking out the girl that's uh that runs and jumps and straddles her boyfriend because she's wearing some rather tight clothing um mm-hmm. <laughs> And I didn't notice, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you had no idea. Especially um, when I was like 11. I had no idea yeah. that, that even happened. <laughs> Why is the screen paused? <laughs> <laughs> Dad, I told you I want to watch this alone in my room. <laughs> Please, this is my special time. Don't come in. <laughs> oh, God. I'll clean out the hamster cage later. Please. And uh, we'll, we'll keep going through the airport. And this is where we meet. Argyle and Argyle, we find out, is his limo driver. So he's uh, been sent by the Nakatomi Corporation, by Mr. Takagi, to go and pick up John from the airport and take him to Nakatomi Plaza. Tell us about Argyle. Tell us about this journey. Build us up to to meeting the 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 robbers slash terrorists. Well, Argyle is previously a cab driver, so he likes to chat. He likes to have a little bit of back and forth. Now, as a bit of an introverted person myself outside of podcasting, which is our safe place because you're here protecting me. <laughs> like when you get an Uber and things, unless I'm in like a particularly chatty mood, I enjoy silence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is not particularly sociable, but Argyle's not about that at all. But what I like is like a nice touch is that John sits up front because he's not comfortable being in the back because that's that's not who he is. You know, he's not a guy that rides in the back of the limos. If actually the bear is in the back of the limo. But it's a really great way to get all the exposition out of what's been happening between John and Holly talking about the strain in their marriage, basically what I touched upon in the synopsis. And Argyle is immediately a friend, you know, as they pull up, he says, you know, here's the here's the number to the phone that's in the car. If, uh, you know, if you if you score, then let me know. I'll bring your bags to the reception. If not, come back down. I'll take you to a hotel, which is great. And we also get the amazing introduction of the Ron DMC Christmas song. It's called something like Hollis in the something or other it was my alarm for like about a year (laughs) on my phone but yeah it's great i love it what do you think of argyle argyle's great he's you know the probably the most intuitive character of the whole film he just he can read john really well explains it all you know oh you you know you stayed in new york because you thought she wouldn't be as successful and she'd come running back to you and you know it turns out she's great they love her she's making a shit ton of money and you gotta you gotta come you know with your tail between your legs and try and figure things out, but you know and and yeah he he does that it's quite decent and um yeah, basically just says to him look i'll I'll hang around and 
you've got options if it doesn't fit, work out here I'll, I'll drop you off somewhere uh, and then he goes and just chills out in the garage doesn't he below and he's got some snacks and some drinks and he's pretty well set in that limo to be fair pretty well yeah set. it's he obviously doesn't have any other people to go and pick up or anything or he's not being paid by the client you know he's just happy to chill speak to some people on the phone just do what he needs to do there was one moment where he says oh you know when would i ever lie to you baby he's obviously on the phone to a girl and says um don't worry my boss thinks i'm on the way to vegas right now so there's obviously some sort of double cross in there somewhere but it doesn't really matter <laughs> first day on the job and already just <laughs> telling some porkies but that's that's fine you, you know when uh when john then goes into into the lobby and he has to use the touch screen to mm. find out what floor holly's on firstly amazing touch screen in 1988 i mean i know everything's touch screen on our phones and everything now but still that's you know way way ahead of the times yep but there's i i've seen and heard it from places that there are people saying why he goes through the whole thing of looking at you know where she is and whatever and then the receptionist guy says well they're the only ones left in the building so a lot of people said so why did he make him go through that whole process and yes we could say well yeah it's a plot device again so that he can see that she's using Gennaro instead of McLean but also apparently that would be standard protocol if you've got a visitor coming in because you need to check that they actually have reason and they're actually going to find someone rather than just you know if they just come in and say yeah you must be going up to the 30th floor there are any people what you know left in there apparently that's accurate security measures though also definitely just a plot device yeah oh yeah, oh, yeah absolutely i mean it kind of drives me a little bit nuts that that whole moment ensues and happens but it's kind of annoying necessary security for this day and age so well for that day and age and yeah you kind of think is there like swipe cards how does it know holly's on the 30th floor you know why when she she goes off to make copies at, at one point so she might be on a different floor by that point and you know the 30th floor is pretty massive and it just seems to know where she is so do they have like little swipe cards to get in and out or to log where they are it's, it's a clever well, system but yeah definitely I guess, plot device yeah i guess it's saying that that's where her office address is registered you know for like mail and stuff but yeah i mean my my parents moved from where the county we grew up in to another county if they live a couple hours away now but they moved from a house into an apartment and the the building the lobby is kind of a bit old school but it's got like the inside's got some of those that like marble that's they've got at the bottom the nakatobi plaza it's kind of that 80s kind of vibe to it and so i the day that they moved in, which was like a decade ago, I told them that they live in Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> my mum has no idea what that reference... My dad knows, obviously. My mum has no idea what that reference is to, but she calls it Nakatomi Plaza and has for like like 10 years and doesn't even know that it's like diehard. So wow. it's great. I love the building. It's special to me. Nice. <laughs> but then he, when he goes up and, uh, and gets to the 30th floor... 
and as he's sort of making his way through the party before he uh, meets Takagi, I like, you know, the guy like kisses him and he's like, hey, Merry Christmas. And then John is like, fucking California. I like that that didn't become like a homophobic moment. Like that's the sort of, in, in them times, in them days, not like as in it would have been like a, a, a horrible slur or something, but you could have imagined something around that. But actually John is just like, you know just people were just merry and more sort of like relaxed around here and he's actually sort of like entertained and amused by it and i thought it's like it's good like people i don't think anyone could be offended by anything in this movie i'm saying that ahead of time and now quickly trying to scan through the (laughs) movie but like i feel like this is family fun for everyone yeah absolutely especially when they shoot you know an older japanese man in the head Is that what you're getting at? Well, that wasn't to do with him being Japanese, though. He just didn't give up the code, did he? No, I know. Definitely. It's, um, there's, yeah, there's nothing in the film that you could sort of pinpoint as being, like, outrageously or outwardly offensive to to anyone or sort of any, anything. Yeah, I I totally agree. It's just, it seems fairly harmless, this film, doesn't it? It is just, we're just in it for the action, the comedy, some great writing, some really, really good lines and watching Bruce Willis run around around in barefoot and a vest, shooting lots of fake Germans. Exactly. (laughs) Well, but I mean, like a lot of movies in these times, there would have been things in there like, um, you know, like, I don't know, sexism, racism, homophobia, or like just little bits that are archaic to being within those times. And it's nice that to watch a movie and it's like, oh, it's okay. They 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 did a great job with this. So Yeah, I mean, even when we get to the point where Takagi gets killed and then Holly is made, is kind of like the next in charge, isn't she? And you, you mm-hmm. I guess the kind of, that assumption is that Ellis is always the kind of next in charge, but he goes, she goes in and um, Gruber says, what idiot, you know, put you in charge or made you the boss. And she's like, you did when you killed, killed my, when you killed Takagi. So everyone's mm-hmm. looking to me now. And there's, there's no kind of weird gender stereotype it is that she's, mm. she's hot shit and she's good to go. You know, she's hot she, shit. She's hot shit and she's good to go. <laughs> Is that good? Is hot shit good? Yeah, she's hot shit. She's she's you know she knows what she's fucking doing. She's cool as a cucumber. She's calm. She's keeping everyone else calm. Now she's cool. She was hot a minute ago. Now she's now she's cooled down. Mate, she's all of the above. She's lukewarm and awesome. <laughs> Just different temperatures of different items. It's California. It's great. <laughs> fucking California. <laughs> Well, I, when we are introduced to Ellis at the beginning, or Harry, however you want to, both, you know, go for him. But he's really hitting on Holly, like he's saying about let's go get some like brie and mold wine and go like rug by the fire. He's trying to keep Scott her, <laughs> if anything, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. He's trying to get in her panties. <laughs> didn't know what word was going to end that sentence no idea <laughs> he wasn't so, sure <laughs> his beard is perfect and later when a bit later when he's doing cocaine off of <laughs> holly's desk 
and uh, Takagi and Holly come in with John, and John's just like, you mi- missed a bit. Because it's like, yeah, all over his nose, and he's just left it just dusted on her desk. But Takagi doesn't even seem that phased, apart from the fact that it's like, you know, this is Holly's husband, the policeman, yeah. you know? <laughs> but I... you think Coke was just that accepted in the late 80s, um... in these corporate worlds? I don't know. Like, I guess so. I think it's more of a, uh, it's a bit of a facsimile of it, isn't it? And saying that it was, it was a thing. And also it, it kind of builds him up to be, have his moment of courage as well, doesn't it? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to get coked up. And then he goes in to see Hans to be like, Hey, Hans, booby, <laughs> your white knight. <laughs> what does he say? Spreckensy. What does he say to him? Spreckensy chat or something like that. Yeah, he, he says something like, like that. Hey, like... Hans, Spreckensy chat, and it's just like, oh my god, this is horrendous. Shoot him now. <laughs> you use a gun, I use a fountain pen. <laughs> Hans, that's the line before actually, isn't it? And it goes in, Hans, booby, I'm your white knight. So good, so good. But yeah, um, and so John is washing up. He's sort of you know doing the old face back the neck and the and the pits you know just just come off a five and a half hour flight he you know and then into a limo drive and he needs to freshen up for for holly you yeah know? it makes sense makes sense they're not and seeing each the, other for, for a while flight. yeah but they get into an argument and the argument it feels real like it's really well written and well acted because it's got that tension of this is something that's been building for a while this is also an old argument that's been lived in that's been had a million times you know this is yeah a bit a bit kind of domestic i have a a, an interesting uh sort of tale as to why that's written into the film do you want to know it? Okay. Do, you, do you know it already? Of course. No, I do not. Okay, so the one of the writers had um, had a row with his wife and then was driving down a, the freeway or driving somewhere and there was like a box in the road, like a big box, and he, he couldn't go anywhere, so he had to drive through it. And luckily the box was empty, but he was thinking, God, if there'd been something like massive in there and heavy or whatever, I would it would have killed me. And we would have... Mm kind of ended our like would have I would have ended my life and we would have our kind of marriage would have ended on an argument what a horrible thing and he got thinking about it and then got thinking about arguments and how like petty little things and then like a major disaster happens and this is kind of where it all kind of stemmed from and uh, and came out and then uh he'd he'd gone and asked a load of friends as well and said that are divorced it's like tell me about your divorce and stuff like that and they're some of them were like she changed her fucking name and and it became a thing and then it got added in and just all these little mm. bits got added in on, on the back of just a stupid little argument that he had with his wife and he thought actually this is this is what happens they have stupid arguments and then fucking crazy shit happens and like mm. how terrifying would it be if if then like terrorists take over the building and then that's kind of that's where the kind of premise sort of comes from what crazy is that that's great that's a well it's terrible but that's a great (laughs) that's a great story and insight and it is these things always are so petty and you do find sometimes you know everybody has little uh 
arguments and little like bickering is probably the best way to put it and then sometimes there can be the like a bit of more of an eruption of like a more serious argument and you find all of their little bickering things they all have built up together and then usually the argument finishes if it's like if you've had like a i'm not saying like f and i don't argue at all really but of course we do like you know in like little bits and then you know maybe a couple times a year we'll have like a bit more of a serious one but you also find as soon as it's over you always think you always just look back on it as this is all so stupid because it's always over stupid little things you know um so yeah i can't even imagine if it was like a life uh threatening situation these things would always just feel so insignificant because they usually do feel insignificant after they've happened anyway you know so yeah i think that's and and it is written really well acted really well feels like lived in Mm. and this is where they get interrupted by like holly's assistant and she wants to i hate this line so much wants you to to talk to the troops really annoys me really don't like that line it's like the only line in the whole film that i I think what a bullshit line why don't you like it because of troops yeah just come and talk to the wants you to talk to the troops it's just like just wants you to come and do a speech that would have done just come and say a few words that also would have done wants you to come and talk to the troops no stop it anyway so she disappears and then john's on his own and he's kind of you know still sorting himself out he does the foot thing and he's like son of a bitch and he realizes actually he feels kind of a bit better about things and he feels a little bit more relaxed and calm and then we hear gunfire and all Mm -hmm. shit starts to break loose he's so calm hans gruber coming off the elevator it's so good he's just like i really like his coat the way he's dressed yeah it's great and then he comes and he delivers uh like that his little speech and i can't remember any of it i just remember the end is and you will be witnesses yeah <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> it's so good so and then he did like as he's walking around he's doing like reeling off the facts about mm. uh joseph yoshinobu takagi uh and this this is brought up like quite a bit in like forums and you know on mistake sites and stuff like that that there's there's an error here, and they say that uh, Mr. Takagi is born in 1937 in Japan, and emigrated in 1939, and then was interned in 1942. So you think 37 to 42 is five years? It would have been five years old. It doesn't it doesn't really make sense. Oh. And there's also a scene where you know when they're like hacking the code. Yeah, it's it, it displays the military record of um, someone of a Japanese person, and then they they decode that they were on like a, a a ship called Akagi, which then is like Red Dragon or something like that. It translates to Red Dragon, and that's the password to open the vault or part of the vault. But everyone says that that's Takagi on the screen. But I, I've looked and looked and looked and looked, and it isn't Takagi, it's someone else. It, uh, because every, okay. everybody says that it's, it displays their military record. So it says, Japanese military served on this um, ship called the Akagi in 1940, which would have meant that Takagi would have been three years old, serving on a Japanese mm. ship, you know, in the middle of World War, II, World War II, going to Pearl Harbor. 
you know, th- which makes zero sense. But when you look at the picture, I'm absolutely certain that it's not it's not the same guy. It's someone else. So I, I think people have put that out there as a common mistake of the film, and actually, it's it's not a mistake because it's not Joseph Takagi. It's just someone else. It's someone else that's in that <laughs> that group. Well, I that's interesting, and I thought that when they, he's going through the timeline. I was thinking he's been in school and interning for so long. <laughs> it's like there's like five year gaps between all of these things, and then, but yeah, I mean, it's just. And Holly's like holding his arm to be like, don't, don't go forward. Um, but he must. I mean, otherwise, what? He's someone else. Some other poor guy's gonna, you know. Well, uh, but what knowing, was in like knowing Gruber, he'd start shooting until he came forward i would have thought he'd start picking on yeah like okay, i'll just do this until he does that and he's so cool that it wouldn't affect him he wouldn't give a shit yeah it was inevitable that he was gonna you know get him uh i was having this discussion with f and again this is something that i hadn't really ever considered and i think it's because because it's a movie that we watched so much when we were younger you just take it as verbatim as that is what it is you don't really think about it too deep in terms of if you're watching it now for with uh you know for like the first time or whatever but there's uh you okay mm-hmm. sorry little sneeze <laughs> little, little sneeze was it oh, i was a cough lovely cough um <laughs> what are you doing now a bit of juice a bit of squash clear the throat yeah <laughs> that yeah that um i was saying why didn't he, he should have just given him the codes right i know i'm jumping ahead a little bit but he should have just given him the codes because it's not worth your life is it and f was saying but even if he'd given him the codes he would have shot him anyway and i was saying but would he have because i mean but then when i thought about it actually they killed loads of random people just getting into the building that they didn't really they didn't care about so maybe he would like because potentially maybe he could create uh further issues maybe like if he was i don't know what do you think do you think if he'd given him the codes he would have killed him still or let him live um i i think that's kind of the bet i i don't think you've jumped ahead so i think you know takagi gets taken away they know they find out who he is they need him because they they assume he's got codes to help open up the vault and he sort of makes it very clear to them that he hasn't got that that information it gets changed by tokyo anyway as soon as they realize something's going on that they take control and um i i'd thought about it as well as i was watching it thinking if he tells him he's just going to get shot anyway but the bet between carl and theo is theo says I bet he doesn't tell us what the codes are and Gruber shoots him. And Carl's saying, no, he'll tell us and then he'll get sent back because Hans kind of lets some people get away with things. You know, he takes mm-hmm. Holly, doesn't doesn't shoot or hurt Holly because, you know, can use her as like bait. And there's there's like a couple of other moments where he's a little bit more agreeable, shall we say, and, and, and willing to let people live and have an opportunity. And I think if Takagi had gone in there and gone, here's the codes, here's what it, here's what the, the passcode is, he'd have gone, okay, you can fuck off back out there. And it, and, and it <laughs> in those exact words. <laughs> yeah. And I genuinely think it would have been because he didn't want to ruin a good suit. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like mostly, yeah, like he didn't that. really care about the person. It would have been actually, it's a decent suit. So we'll let the suit, you know, stay blood stain free for now. 
But there's a there's a yeah. great there's a great moment in there where Takagi mentions that any computer information Gruber gets would be changed when they wake up in Tokyo in the morning. Do you remember this bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but Japan from where they are is 17 hours ahead of of Pacific Standard Time. So like early evening time, so it's like 5, 6 p.m. in California, corresponds to about like midday in Tokyo. So actually all the mm. people that need to be like awake and shit are awake anyway because it's like the middle of the day. So it's nice. it's a little bit of a gaff there, but, but um, <laughs> a gaff, a bit of a gaff, yeah. <laughs> nice, so, yeah, that's good. I I agree. I think. I mean, I think he would have let him live because, but obviously, yeah, that was never going to happen. The tension that's built up there is great. With the, I will count to three. There will not be a four like it's so calm yeah and then the fact is just the the timing of one and then takagi saying you'll never get a da 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 three you just have to shoot me bam it's like it's um like gruber he's never started he's never phased he's so calm and Takagi is like is sweating, he's panicked as as you would be. But dare I say, them juxtaposed to each other, it just creates that perfect tension. It's so good. I, I would put it up there as saying it's one of the best scenes of the movie. I think in terms of building suspense and tension. Definitely, absolutely. It's you know it's not without its flaws in terms of like some sort of continuity mistakes and errors, but yeah, you can yeah. see past that with this film. You can totally see past it. I mean, even in that scene, there's a mistake because what well what floor are they on when they get taken when he takes them away? Well, he takes him up a floor, doesn't he? Or does he does he take him to a different room? Well, he takes him into the room where it's got all the models and stuff, isn't it? So they're at, so they're at least on the thirtieth floor, at least. Yeah, if, yeah. If not gone a bit yeah. higher, but you can see trees out the window. <laughs> can you yeah. i've never noticed that yeah yeah yeah. in a couple of scenes you can see trees out the window sometimes they're like really waving then sometimes they're still no <laughs> no <laughs> oh. i'm more saying no because now i'm gonna see that next time i see it that's like with the bit of jurassic park when it's suddenly the t-rex is just drop off into nothing you're like what yeah but, but like, but you forgive it because that scene in Jurassic Park is so good. Mm. I mean, I think the scene with that scene there, the, the actual dialogue that's being said, besides the you know the one, to, it doesn't really matter because it's just about the tension and the vibe that's coming off. Um, so yeah, you can you forgive things like that when you know the acting is so good. Yeah. And and it's from this point that John nearly gets discovered. He's figuring out who people are. He's writing names down on his arm. He's running around. You know, he he hasn't got his shoes, but we know he's got his weapon because he's always kind of got that on his little harness that he wears around himself. Um, and it, and he's kind of figuring things out, and he's he's kind of panicking a little bit. And they're kind of onto the fact that someone was there that shouldn't have been there, and they've lost them. And it's kind of like, okay, leave them for now. We'll come back to him or whoever it is, we need to carry on with our plan and, and our mission as as set out. And this is where John then starts trying to interrupt that as much as possible. 
And the first thing he thinks of to do is to pull the fire alarm, which, you know, is a, is a sensible, sensible option. And it's at that point you see the fire trucks come in, they're on their way, and then they get halfway there and they turn off. They, they, they turn the sirens off and they start turning around. I love the line when it's just like, come to Papa, come to Papa, and I'll kiss your fucking Dalmatian. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I, I like the bits as well when he's on, he's like on the a couple floors up, isn't he? Or above of where they were with the floors that are under construction. And I like that he's like talking to himself, but he's almost, he's, he's putting himself under guilt. He's like, why didn't you stop him, John? He's like, cause you'll be dead too, asshole. Like, you know, it's sort of like, working it through in his head and sort of pacing around and uh yeah i love all of that because like you you said at the beginning because he's like our every man he's our average joe our average john it's uh he's not it's not like it's arnie or stallone that would have just gone in there and just like you know saved the day immediately he's got to think these three these things through and come up with a plan yeah definitely and you know this is where we come across the the next sort of like challenge that he has to overcome and it's am i a policeman am i not this you know and he wants to save that person he can't he knows that he'd be dead gets to the next challenge which is this you know person turning up to um supposedly you know take him back downstairs but then he just starts shooting at, at nothing John sets off the the saw in the other room and then he comes looking and he puts the gun to to his head and is like basically challenges him from there and says you know drop the weapon that I you know I'm a cop and he's like you can't hurt me you are a policeman <laughs> there are rules for policeman <clears throat> he's like so my captain keeps telling me <laughs> And, goes to like and then just cracks him yeah. and then just cracks him in the face with a fucking elbow as well <laughs> but that doesn't drop him because his geezer is huge <laughs> but with tiny feet he has tiny feet smaller than his sister Small. <laughs> but yeah they have their fight and you, you know it's it's a good first fight it's quite great fight yeah it's a, it's a good one and they, they end up rolling down the stairs and Bruce Willis did all his own rolling down the stair work did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, re- he really wanted to do a lot of his own stunts in this film. There's, there's only like two or three that they wouldn't let him do. <laughs> but that was one of them. Yeah, it's good. I, and I like his continual commentary when he's going through the fights. I mean, it gets even better and better when we get to the fight with Carl later. When it's just like, I'm going to base you. I'm going to fucking cook you. I'm going to eat you. <laughs> and it's like just beating him and wrapping him in chains and stuff. So good. So good. But yeah, and you kind of can judge where you are in the movie by just how discoloured and stained his wife beater is. Yeah, still white, but a little bit red. We're quite early on. (laughs) Basically, at the end, brown. Yeah, at the end, he's like barely alive (laughs) (laughs) with a wife beater on. But yeah, but yeah, and, uh, and then he uses it as an opportunity to send the terrorist robber uh back down in the elevator with the ho 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 now i have a machine gun which is a popular christmas jumper dom that you can get and i've considered it a few times but i'm just not sure how i feel with walking around with saying i have a machine gun on my shirt um what do you think would you would you rock it 
Uh, yeah, I think people would, would just associate it to the film. No one would take any real offence to it, would they? It's, that's, it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be like a, a jokey one, isn't it? It's like the filthy animal one from Home Alone. You can get that. I, I've got no issue with it. I'd, I'd wear it. I ordered a, uh, a Nakatomi Plaza hoodie last night. I couldn't resist it. I had to do it. It's, it's just uh, a hoodie that's um, it's actually from 20th Century Fox. It's like an officially licensed one. Um, but it's, uh, it just it has the logo on, which I think is dope. The Nakatomi logo, like the sort of sort of like the dots and triangles and the yeah. And it just says Nakatomi Plaza christmas christmas party 19, <laughs> 1988 or something nice. on it uh, <laughs> yeah but yeah but yeah he sends him down and then but he's on top of the elevator and he's writing on his arm with the permanent marker which is another continuity error because there's pretty much all of the rest of the scenes in the movie those arms aren't on his <laughs> name on those names aren't on his arm anymore but again we forgive it sweated it all off <laughs> it's all gone yeah <laughs> he committed them to memory it was actually a board marker it just wiped off immediately it's like for fuck's sake <laughs> things really start to sort of pick up in the film from this point you know it, it's already pretty um edgy seat kind of stuff but from now it really really starts to pick up he's got a radio he can listen into you know what they're saying to each other some of it he doesn't understand because it's in gibberish german uh, I see that, you know, obviously if anyone's listened this far into our podcast, they'll know that it wasn't real German. And um, he also uses it to try and communicate with the outside world. And he goes to the roof and starts broadcasting. He starts doing a mayday call, gets through to an emergency channel, which I'm guessing is like universal for, for police in the States. And yeah, has has a moment of screaming at uh, the operator supervisor down the radio because... He's got a building full of terrorists that he's trying to handle and deal with. And she is reluctant to sell out, sell out, send even a patrol car out because he hasn't followed proper procedure and called 999. Sorry, 911. (laughs) 999 is the number in the UK. For those that don't know. Yeah. And she, she says... This line is reserved for emergency calls only, to which John says, what, Dom? Oh, um, no fucking shit, lady. What do you think I'm doing? Ordering a pizza? Yeah. Oh, is it, oh, it's just no shit, lady. Not no fucking shit. No, no, it's no fucking shit. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. No fucking shit, lady. I love that line. Um, no, I did our work quiz and I had to, I made the quiz and that was one of the questions. I like, finished the next line and nobody got it. And it was at that point I realized that I designed the quiz for my own self for, for me and you <laughs> <laughs> yeah just for us which you know is probably not the right thing to do for my co-workers but there you go don't worry about them <laughs> they'll still be there next year <laughs> but um but we do eventually get our good friend uh al right we- who comes he comes in uh in the patrol car after getting some is it twinkies for for his pregnant wife yeah and this is what the the guy at the gas station is like sure it's for your wife and he's like just put it in a bag (laughs) yeah yeah this is the introduction of al he goes into the building he gets the opportunity to look around you know the guy that's at the front desk is like oh there's a cop here but he's pretty natural watching a football game um everybody says that college 
everybody on the you know on the things that I've been looking up in my research says that college football was ended by thanks Thanksgiving. So there's no way that he could be watching that game or have a bet on it. You know, I actually think some of the comments and the um, like bits like that are a little bit petty. <laughs> you can kind of forgive like it. Nitpicking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said like, there's no way that there'd be a game played on Christmas Eve. You know, definitely not college football. Blah blah blah. Um, it's really, really nitpicky, but you know, you can forgive it. He might have been betting on a rerun. You never know. And <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he's an idiot. It's a sure thing. Yeah. It's a sure thing. <laughs> um, and then yeah, Al sees no issue, has has no problem with what's going on. And John is up in the thirtieth floor, like absolutely. This this is when he's you know attacked by two other terrorists or you know whatever they are whatever they're considered in the film it's the table scene right the table moment and john is crawling and crawling under the table while al's having a little wander around and he's you know chilling out kind of looking at the snack stand thinking like what could i have from that and john is being shot at by some crazy lunatic on top of the table and did you know that bruce willis when he fired that gun yeah is now deaf in his left ear because of that scene really i i didn't know that that's crazy so he he lost like two-thirds of his hearing like like hearing quality in his left ear because the blanks were so loud in that gun so from that scene so from quite early on in his movie career he was then permanently deafened like not fully deaf but like majority of his hearing's gone in his left ear because of that that's moment. crazy yeah wow mad that's crazy it's crazy <laughs> and carried on like, like i wonder if he got like compensated for that or something i mean he was paid five million dollars for the film and that would do it was considered like he was considered like one of the biggest film stars like at the time at that point once he'd got paid five million because that that was a massive amount for the time. I mean, it almost feels like a drop in the water now, really, doesn't it? Compared to what they get mm. now. But yeah, five twenty million, mil a film. Five million dollars in the eighties. It's just crazy. Crazy money. But yeah. That is crazy. So we Craziness. See, we see Al starting to uh, disappear and drive away and John decides to really get his attention and throws um the body of the man he's just killed on the table out the window. And it lands perfectly on Al's bonnet and he just goes into full reverse that's it reverse get out of there he's getting shot at he's getting shot at from a different position so it's like someone has now gone shit they've just thrown like Marco out the window whatever let's let's get this cop's attention and and start shooting and what's quite clever is that for Gruber this it was always part of the plan to get the police involved and to get to this point but it's they've just jumped ahead so John McClane has now Mm. made them skip some steps that they were following and he refers to it like John McClane says they're they're straight out the terrorist playbook you know but they've they've skipped some steps now because they wanted the police involvement because it's all about getting into that vault they need the power being turned off and all that and all these things happen in the film um but just a little bit earlier than they were expecting so it's kind of okay just start shooting at them out the window and we'll gather some real attention now. And it works perfectly. <clears throat> He's Al saying, they're turning my car into Swiss cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. Like, and of course we get the, welcome to the party, pal, like, line, which is iconic. Perfect line. Love that line. 
And he's just standing at the window, looking all brave and wonderful, isn't he? Oh, John. <laughs> oh, Johnny. Yeah, it's brilliant. And then uh, is this he gets the detonators from them, isn't it? Like they, because I'm guessing that's what they were doing. Like maybe on their way to put do the detonator. That must be what they were doing, right? Yeah, I think they were heading up to go and rig the roof, basically, weren't they? That's why he's desperate to get the detonators because he wants to rig the roof, get the helicopters, yeah. blow the whole thing up, and that makes him look like he's dead. But then actually he's escaping yeah. with. Six hundred million dollars worth of bearer bonds, which, yep. which is awesome. Good plan. Yeah, we'll be on the beach <laughs> earning twenty percent. Yeah. <laughs> That's great interest rates. Fantastic. <laughs> great interest. I mean, it's not I've got an I, I've got an <laughs> I've got an ISA account. My interest rate is zero point zero one percent. I get a, I get a penny every like decade. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit shit at the minute, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, I pay but, for a one, two, three account in the hope that uh, it gathers me some interest, and it's about five pounds. I don't know what a one, two, three account is. A oh, savings account, like a no, it's like a just a normal sort of debit account, but you get some perks and stuff. It's like with Santander. Okay, um, but you get five pound. Yeah, like about five pounds a month, but it costs me five pounds a month to have it, so I sort of break even. <laughs> <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's genius. It's clever, it's genius, very clever. <laughs> yeah. What if you pay six pound a month? What would you get? Oh, I have no idea. No idea. It's six, it maybe like, six pounds. It's like a standard rate for that account. So. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> sign, sign me up. I mean, it was good when well, interest rates didn't plummet like horrendously because of right, right, right. stuff. But, yeah. right, anyway, you, enough about my, you. enough about my horrendous bank account. Yeah, what is your pin code? <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us more. What is the sort code? No chance. Well, where, where does John go from from here? Is this where he? Um, so he's got the detonators in the bag, which he got from the the first terrorist he killed. Uh, oh no, uh, on like from whoever it is he, he kills like and then throws out the window does he then attach it to the chair to throw down the, the elevator shaft he does that as a reaction to them blowing up the uh the rv the, right. p- the police's rv because so, he's it's like a fuck you to hans they want to send the la like the lapd swat in don't they and it, that sort of when we get to that bit all goes wrong but yeah, he's still. Oh, he's been hunted. It's like all around the elevator shafts and stuff. That's it. That's and Carl's like shooting up into the into the vents. Yeah, but so, he has to sort of get called away. You know, the great moment. So there's a great moment where he uses his gun to sort of balance, and he uses the I guess the what's it the called? Strap. Like the strap, yeah, to sort of edge himself down. So that was actually done by a stuntman. The stuntman had to use the strap to then, like, leap to the vent. And you know he falls yeah. a bit further. That was, a, yeah. that was an accident. It wasn't meant Ooh. to happen. And the stuntman then caught on. Um, I'm not sure how <clears throat> like high it was in real life, like, when they're filming it. But the stuntman was meant to be able to 
jump over and grab onto this vent and then that was it but then we see john fall even further and then grab on again and that actually happened and the editor really liked it and kept it in and then it managed to make it work and um so it made it look like that john had made a mistake slipped and was desperately trying to grab on and then grabs onto the next vent because that, that it was real the person actually went oh shit and then managed to catch on so yeah it's pretty cool there's a couple of like I moments like that. in that where they they've kept like real bits in the film like to keep it to try and make it as realistic as possible for like little scenes like that yeah well it's always good because it feel it adds to the suspense doesn't it so that's that's awesome all right it's kind of just goes into not just goes into but it's it becomes the sort of cat and mouse doesn't it and back and forth and sort of chasing around the building and yeah john uh he blows up like the bottom of the building that's where the glass is going everywhere because al from outside so al and john become like friends through using the radio and building up a relationship but al is the only body only one in the police that actually is like believing john like al's superior or the, the you know the guy that the captain or whoever the you know Dwayne robertson that comes over i remember his name because it's the same as one of the players from the mighty ducks but <laughs> He thinks that it could be a he could be a barman for all you know, you know. But uh, yeah, and so it just sort of goes into this sort of cat and mouse with the police, and then the FBI eventually arrive. And uh, yeah, it, it we have great action scenes. I mean, what maybe we should just talk about some of the parts that we haven't spoken about yet because I mean, it's it's a late reveal, reveal that Holly is John's wife. But before we get there, we've got the scene with Ellis. So Ellis comes in. It's the Hans Booby scene where he's trying to just make things happen and basically give John up. Yeah, really, he gives off away so many details about John, but. I guess the one thing about Ellis that's a redeeming factor is that he never at any point goes, it's Holly's husband. He Mm. he sticks to his own story, which although is bullshit, and John is like, tell him you don't know me, tell him you don't know me. He doesn't then go, okay, I don't know him really. I met him tonight. It's actually Holly's husband. He sticks with it. And in a way, he's kind of keeping Holly safe for that little bit longer that little bit of extra time because uh you know he could turn around and go yeah okay it's true i just met him tonight he came with someone else and then it becomes okay who did he come with we need to then leverage that person and it just kind of allows that little bit of extra time for john to create a little bit more havoc and kill a few more of them before it you know before (laughs) it comes to the kind of crescendo of the film yeah, for sure. I, I I love the line delivery of when he's just like, John boy, you're going to do this to me after all these years. But I love it when it's, I mean, it might be the line before when he's saying, you know, they just, these guys need their detonators so they can get out of here. So you need to come down here and give them what they need. You understand me, John? Capiche? <laughs> I just love that delivery. It's like so arrogant. Oh. It, it's so perfect. It's so perfect. He plays, I've never seen him in anything else. But forever he will be Ellis, who, and he will forever be a wonderful actor because it's so it's so good. Yeah, definitely. And I, I can't say I've ever seen him in anything else either. Um, and he just 
What a, what a fantastic sort of role he has in, in this film, just being this total douchebag that's coked up, that thinks he can save the day and kind of win Holly's heart and, you know, favour over her badass cop husband that's, you know, already dealt with seven of the 12 terrorists or whatever, you know, it's, it's crazy, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. But yeah, well done, Ellis. Good try, good I- effort. I have him and John McClane up on my pin board here, and it's him with the Hans booby. I'm your white knight, and I've got John in the in the, in the vent with the with the lighter. There, yeah, oh, so good, <laughs> so good. But Ellis comes to a demise after getting poured a, a classic, a classic can of coke into a glass. You can even hear it fizzing on John's end of the radio. You can hear Clint Eastwood rolling with right. It was actually Clint. It was Clint Eastwood that came in and shot him. <laughs> it wasn't even. It wasn't even Hans. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, that's the end of that's the that's the end of Ellis. Goodbye, Ellis. Thank you for your service. <laughs> yeah. Thank. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, and I mean, other parts we get. Um, we we get the when John's on the roof. I guess that's like a little bit later, but he's trying to get all of the hostages or people off of the roof, and he ends up he just like shoots in the air to try and scare them to go back down, and that makes the crazy, absolutely crazy Johnson and Johnson FBI agents that are like from no relation been in Saigon and yeah. <laughs> This is just like Saigon. Like they're happy to lose twenty percent of the hostages, and it's crazy. Yeah, it's like it's like fucking Saigon. It's like I was in junior high, dickhead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but there's like two helicopters go up. There's this massive explosion. The helicopter gets caught up in the explosion. The whole point of sending the hostages to the roof is to is, is to blow them up. So it look kind of looks like. I guess he's kind of hoping that it looks like kind of an accident as well. So if you look at it that way, uh, even if Takagi hadn't been killed, he would have been killed. Like, been. All the hostages were going to die. In the I never really thought of it that way. They were all going to die yeah, at some point. Yeah, point that the whole the whole situation was to to have them all killed. In that in that scene, so when that happens, and the the terrorists eventually run up to the roof, don't they, to then confront John, and they start shooting at him. You know, they set off the explosion, and he goes like flying off the building. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Willis did that stunt that actually happened so he flies off a building and then lands on a crash mat so it's he um, they did it on like a parking garage and Mm -hmm. uh, like a multi-story car park kind of thing so he jumps off the top of the multi-story car park they set off the explosion and he lands on this massive like air crash pad below but the explosion pushed him forward in the air and he landed Mm -hmm. right on the corner and uh, the the stunt team and coordinators and the crew thought he was dead. Thought he, when oh, he landed, God. they actually thought he's landed and he's hit quite hard. He's hit right on the corner where there's like kind of less protection. Shit, we've killed Bruce Willis. <laughs> but they we definitely we made him de- we made him deaf last week yeah. in one ear. We've killed him this week. Yeah. Someone call Frank Sinatra now. Somebody, somebody call Sybil and tell him that he won't be moonlighting anymore. <laughs> Get Frank in. But yeah, oh, like it's a, it's a great moment. I mean, kind of just prior to that, he's had his fight with Carl, hasn't he? 
Oh, yeah, such a good fight. Oh, no, no. Carl's shooting at him. He kind of slides down the building. He's running around. And then he gets in the stairway and he has his fight with Carl. Well, and the bit with the hose, the hose pipe. Because that, that happens when he's jumped off the... He's, like, been blown off, like, the side of the building, but he's still, like, on, like, the lower part. Is then... He has to get off the top of the building because they're one, the helicopters are trying to shoot him because they think he is one of the terrorists, but also the top of the building is about to explode. Mm. So he just like wraps the hose around. And when he jumps down, and that effect is still so good when he like jumps over. And then the shot of when like his bloody feet are on the uh, window and he pushes off and then has to like shoot the window to get through. That is still so good, and then the fact that then the the, ho- the rest the base of the hose pipe like falls down and is then pulling him down, so good, his, his, so good. His face in that moment as well just just paints a thousand pictures, doesn't it? He's just like shit. I'm still attached to this thing, and it's it's heavy, <laughs> and it's dragging him, and it's pulling him out, and he's trying to you know get a bit of friction, but his feet are just so covered in blood, madness, madness. Do you know, Shoot the glass. Shoot the glass. <laughs> Joe, for a lot of the film, he actually had rubber feet on. They made like special mm. rubber feet for him. Yeah, <laughs> makes perfect sense. It's all the fucking glass, glass everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, even so actually, <laughs> Bruce in real life did give a shit about glass. <laughs> Shoot the glass. <laughs> I might make that. Some sort of ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> a message tone, yeah. yeah. Shoot the glass. Uh, yeah, it's so good. Uh, we we get the... We're, we're doing this out of order now, but we get the uh, full circle round of his arc with Holly, even before he gets there. Like, he asks Al on the radio that, you know... Tell her that she's heard me say I love you a thousand times, but she's never heard me say I'm sorry, you know, and the fact that, like what we said earlier, that these things always are so insignificant after they've happened, and but especially, like, in his situation where he doesn't think he's going to see his children again or, you know, her or his wife, obviously. And in the background, we've got the douchebag rap reporter that is, like, trying to get exclusive interviews with their kids and threatening to call like immigration uh on on the nanny and stuff eat it harvey i do like that moment though <laughs> <It's just Simon. laughs> yeah. oh, we forgot to mention mclean residence lucy mclean speaking <laughs> oh god leave her alone she's a child dom you're a monster i leave no one alone <laughs> <laughs> would leave children alone. Everyone is Freak. criticized. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she had like one line, Dom. She had one line. She then had a line. Pretty on, much. On the, 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 just come home. <laughs> <laughs> Something seriously wrong with you. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. She's not any. She's not Macaulay Culkin, is she? She's not. Well, she's not a child star. <laughs> <laughs> Macaulay Culkin, yeah, he would have. He would have smashed those lines. It's true. But does does the does the little boy have any lines? No. Just. Well, I guess he he gets a whole movie out of it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Die Hard Five. Yeah. She's awful. Don't bother. Um. So 
we let's let's talk about the kind of the near enough the ending of the film they're in the vault Mm -hmm. they crack the code they get in Mm. they're filling bags and bags and bags of um bearer bonds that music is so good at that moment when as the vault opens so good i think that should be the intro music for this episode beethoven's ninth symphony just playing over and over again it's played throughout the whole film it's um yes it's because the the director was obsessed with a clockwork orange and that's there's a there's a scene with like extreme violence and that is playing and it's just like the juxtaposition of of kind of what it, it it's called ode to joy and yeah that's that's the juxtaposition and and kind of why he liked it so much so even gruber like um hums it in the elevator because mm. the orchestra are playing it and yeah so it just becomes a continuous theme throughout the whole um film well there you go and it will be the intro of this podcast episode <laughs> thank you beethoven yeah, you beethoven. <laughs> beethoven also a film we should cover at some point yeah all of them there's loads of them There's a Christmas one I've seen on like Netflix or Disney. It must be Disney Plus. There's a, like, like a uh, recent one, like yeah, a new yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks. Oh boy, it looks. Are we going terrible. in. You en- you enjoyed. I've watching terrible films and podcasting them is the secret ingredient yeah. to great podcast episodes. <laughs> yeah, definitely, isn't it? Yeah, because we can just tear it apart. <laughs> as like, but the first one will always be classic. Like as long as. And that's kind of the perfect remedy. The first one we can say all the lovely things about, mm. and then the subsequent one. Yeah, let's do that then, because I think I've only seen the first one. I might have seen a second or third one. There's one where they're in a cabin at some point. I think I've seen... I've definitely seen the first two. I used to own the first two, I think. Okay. Anyway. We're doing Free Willy trilogy before that, though. <laughs> you can't keep blue-balling me on Free Willy, okay? Blue-balling. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> just let me have that one you can have that that's fine you can have all the whales you want just three of them it's the <laughs> same whale but you know they don't use any whales in the second or third one it all they're, all an- they're all animatronic oh. they're animatronic nice yeah back to Die Hard Cake. I've got so much to say about let's Free Willy let's I go back to Die Hard wait, wait for that podcast and we'll talk about that then <laughs> okay so we're in the vault we're breaking yes. in. We're stealing the money. Holly Gennaro is like just thieves, just common thieves, and it all gets mm. a bit tense. And John, covered in blood, he's tired. He's covered in dirt. He's fought for his life. He's fought for the lives of so many others. Comes around the corner, and the perfect way of going, Hans, <laughs> and yes. he is a mess. And there's two of them. One of him. Wait, can I can I try one? Go for it, please do. I I wish I could have done mine first because it's always hard to follow. Hans, it was good. It was really good. It is a little bit like donkey, a bit Eeyore. No, that's gone too much. That's like a strain. It's so good because then he goes like. Hi, baby. It's <laughs> a <Like to laughs> Holly. Yeah. Sorry, go on. And uh, now we have 
the perfect kind of Mexican standoff. It's not like a proper Mexican standoff because there's, you know, two versus one. But he's got his machine gun. He's told to put it down. And he complies. You know, they've got Holly as hostage. He puts his gun down. And he, they're having a little laugh between them. and Or they're having a conversation between them. And it's, this is when Gruber says, like, what is it you said? yippee Gaye, motherfucker. And he starts laughing and he just starts like crazy laughing. And then Gruber starts to point his gun at him. And what we see is that John is an absolute genius and has taped his gun to his back, his other gun to his back, you know, his pistol. And he's got two bullets left. And these two bullets need to be used wisely and carefully. And as uh, Gruber starts to point a gun at him, at him, he says, Holly, like, whatever and she drops out of the way or moves out of the way as quickly as he, he can he jumps grabs the gun from his back that's you know duct taped to his back shoots gruber and shoots the other guy that's there in the head neutralizes him straight away and we think that is it until gruber falls through the window but grabs holly by the wristwatch as he's falling oh which you've described it perfectly or when when he he's shot the other guy he like blows like the smoke away from the gun which is like a, a tribute to the fact that they've been going back and forth throughout the film about being a cowboy you know and it's like that was like his cowboy moment yeah which is absolutely a, a perfect perfect moment and then we have Hans Gruber hanging from you know dangling from the 30th floor of the Nakatomi Plaza from a wristwatch. From and Ellis's Rolex gift. Well, not <laughs> he, well, whether he gifted it or they gifted they it. Gifted but it. from, it's nice that that comes back into play, you know, all the way from the beginning. Yeah. It's like, yeah, re-mentioned. And uh, I think John wanted rid of it the whole time. So this is, John then <laughs> yeah. manages to grab onto Holly to prevent her from falling. And she's screaming and crying. And in this exact moment, he starts pointing the gun again. And he's pointing it up. He's not giving up to the, his last moment uh, and capable moment of being able to affect John or inflict some kind of pain on him. He starts to point the gun. And this is where John unclasps the watch it pings off Holly's wrist and Gruber falls 30 stories to his death. Well, we didn't know he's dead. I mean, okay, fair enough. But we see him pretty much crunch into the floor <laughs> or into like a, into the fountain, isn't it? Dom, I haven't seen Die Hard 2 yet. No spoilers. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll keep that Don't all ru- in. <laughs> Don't ruin this for me. Well, I'm sure that you already know this, but my one other fact that I knew, you know. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. You're cocky. (laughs) Cocky. Was that they said they. We're going to drop you on three. (laughs) But instead, when they were filming it, instead, they like were doing it against like a green screen or whatever. But I guess we're dropping him like off a ladder onto like a, like you said, like a, a air pad or whatever. And uh, instead, the director director said, "Drop him on two. and you can see it. It's like such a genuine reaction of like fear in his eyes. Uh, it's perfect. I, perfect. I saw moment. when I was looking when I was looking for like hoodies and stuff because I love having things that are commem- commemorative. Oh, bloody hell! Say it, Dom. Commemorative. 
Oh, I can say all the syllables. Uh, of, uh, of films and things that I love. Evidently, I'm living in a 10-year-old's bedroom in here in my... <laughs> Quote, can I call it an office? <laughs> you know. Den. <laughs> happy place. Happy. I like to call it my happy place. Away from your family. But, <laughs> hidden. Well, you know where this room is. It's just like, it's right next to the door. I can make a quick exit. No one will know. <laughs> You're out of there. Easy. <laughs> um, But yeah, when I was looking, I... I didn't get it because it was like too much graphic, there's too much going on, I thought, but I did like it. It said it was a picture of Hans falling off the building and it said it's not Christmas until you've seen Hans Gruber fall off the side of the Nakatomi Plaza, which I think is true. Mm-hmm. He he falls, um, they go down, we don't see how they get down, I'm hoping that there was a working elevator still, but the building is kind of like falling apart <laughs> in them for the stories anyway. But they get down, Al's there, we get a nice moment, this has been building for the whole film. But out of nowhere, Dom, and, you know, just furious, Carl's back. Carl appears, and he is pissed. You could say that. I mean, he was left to hang. I mean, John did base him and he cooked him, but he never ate him. He never <laughs> ate his meal. And that was a waste of food. So he just left him hanging there. Absolutely. And, uh, and this is a it's a beautiful moment because we know that Al is a, a desk bound police officer because of a, a mistake that he made, you know, a little while back where he accidentally shot a kid. So he decided that's it. He's never going to you know, get himself into a situation where he has to pull a weapon again because it's it's all too much. And this guy, Carl, just won't give up. He's there. He unveils himself. He's got his gun. He's pointing it at the crowd. He points it at John. And then all of a sudden, the beautiful five shots ring out from Al's sidearm. Bang, 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 bang. And Carl falls to his death. <laughs> Thank you, Dom. So, so passionate. Uh, and the music there is really good. Like the score is, I really love that moment as well. And then Argyle, who has just punched out Theo. So Theo must spend, he's like, is he the only terrorist that actually isn't dead? Yeah, he's, he's the only one that doesn't die. That surprises me that they didn't, well, I guess, probably life in prison or something but leave leave the techie guy (laughs) it's surprising to me they didn't bring him back is what i was going to say like in one of the later diehards just as a you know as a throwback but uh but argyle gives no shits about the limo anymore i mean he's already smashed into the side of a, a fake ambulance but yeah smashes out uh and gets the final line of the movie which is what is the fun? Yeah, this is what you do for Christmas. I gotta see what you do for New Year's. That's right. <laughs> John and Holly are in the back of the limo. No debrief needed. No explanation to police needed here. Just let's go home and. And most importantly, the... Holly punches the reporter. Oh yeah. We hate. Yeah, hate him. It was great. Uh, and then yeah, they kiss in the limo. Christmas music plays. Drive off. Perfect movie. Movie done fin the end 
final. Shoot the glass. Shoot the glass. <laughs> Perfect well, moment. Sh- sh- should we do like our judgments? Yeah, let's do some judgments. But before what? we head into judgments, go on, what were you going to say? No, I can't. I want to hear you say it. <laughs> I want you to do it in the same cadence as well. <laughs> before we head into judgments, and if you, you say if you like this podcast, and how could oh my how God. could you not? And please rate, review, subscribe. Simon, where can you find our stuff? You can find all of our things to support us at ravenshoops.net. <laughs> Why? Go on. You do it. One time. Do it. Uh, why, Simon? Because basketballs go through hoops. But they also go through nets. Ravenshoops.net. <laughs> it feels so weird doing it that way around. <laughs> now I get to be you. There's an opening in my lineup. <laughs> Please check us out. Go there. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. It'd be awesome. Reach out to us on Instagram. Uh, where can they find us on Instagram, Simon? At Ravens Podcast, but we're not really active on there. You can get me at Simon Podcasts, and you can get Dom by searching. And he likes you to have to find him. Uh, it's a little quest. And then you can request to follow him, and depending on your notoriety and contribution to the podcast, he may or may not accept. <laughs> you will find out in due course. Just keep refreshing the page. You've got to find out what kind of listener I treat you as, depending on whether I follow you back. <laughs> you Basically, you follow people back or let them into your page if you recognize them, isn't it? Like if you recognize them from, you know, Ravens and whatever. Yes, for the um, most part. Yeah, where well, my page is open, but I've decided that if it gets to a thousand, I'm going to make it private and cut it off. I quite like the idea. It probably won't ever get to a thousand, but I kind of, it's <laughs> at like 700 and something, but I quite like the idea of it's exclusive. 1,000 people only. <laughs> no more. If someone leaves, open, fine. Open there's, there's an open, there's an opening in what in your lineup, right? <laughs> but at the moment, there's like a good three hundred spaces, so you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure it will remain open like that, ladies but... and gents. Flood his Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's head into our judgments of the film. Mm. Simon, who's your favorite character of the film? I mean, oh, do we exclude John McClane because that's almost like too obvious that he's the best? Or no, you can still pick him. I think that's fair. Okay, well, my favorite character—it has to be John McClane. It has to be, but I, I, I give honourable mention to Hans Gruber, of course, and to Ellis. Excellent. And and you. Um, I'm going to have to absolutely 100% agree with you, my friend. Definitely John McClane, Hans Gruber, honourable mention, and Ellis gets a little nod as well. A little shout out to Mr. Takagi. <laughs> he's good. He his he makes up half of one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. So. And there will not be a four. Who was your favourite performer? 
I think performance wise it's got to go to Alan Rickman I think what, what about you I totally agree I think he was brilliant I mean Bruce Willis does a fantastic job but Alan Rickman is just awesome what a great villain mm. Mm. yeah definitely agree with you did you have let me let me let go me on. ask you the next. Go on then. Go on. So you get you said just so you, you get to go first as well because uh, favorite background performer, one line or less. I did have someone, but I've kind of forgotten who that was. So I'm going to go for the. Does the guy that kisses John count? Oh, I know who yeah. I had originally. I had the air hostess on the plane that gives him the eyes. I'm gonna go. I fucks him. I'm gonna go with her again. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with her, not not the guy. So yeah, I'll go her. What about what about your favorite background performer? I'm gonna go with yeah the guy. Merry Christmas. <laughs> or did he say Merry fucking Christmas? No, he says Merry, Christmas. Merry Christmas, and then, and then yeah, him. and then John's like fucking California. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I heard I heard that phrase. Uh, it's not a normal terminology for me. Um, I effing, but I heard that on a podcast that was uh covering die hard and they were like she seriously like i effed him <laughs> he looked back <laughs> <laughs> he was like his consensual consensual <laughs> if uh what about your favorite song uh is the song at the end i guess that is it let it snow let it snow let it, let it snow, snow yeah. let it snow so that's that's what i'm going for what about yours? I'm going to go with Ron DMC, Christmas in the Hollis. Oh, we've gone for the bookends, the beginning and the end. That's so good. Should that be the intro? Oh, I'm not sure now. Because <laughs> that, that's so good. The instrumental to that's so good. Maybe that should be the intro and the Beethoven should be the outro. That sounds good. That worked for you? Right. It works for me, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Favorite line? Oh, this is really, really difficult. Really difficult. Like, no fucking shit, lady. Does it sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Was good. Um, come out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. Um, I really like Happy Trails, Hans. Is a really great line. Oh, the final one. Yeah. Um, even Gruber's line, like one of Gruber's lines, is great. But I think I'm going to go with. Welcome to the party, pal. Classic. And what about your favourite line? Mine has to be, I've got it on the board. It can't not be Hans. Booby. I'm your white knight. It's got to be. Uh, if it wasn't, uh, that, well, it's definitely that. But honourable mention to Welcome to the Party, pal, always comes to mind. Of course, Yippie Kaye, motherfucker, is just like iconic. <laughs> at this point it, it's sent subsequently in every diehard film yeah it became the catchphrase didn't it but i mean even just you know yeah in this one uh shoot the glass uh that actually is one that sticks in but yeah there's so many yeah thanks for the advice through the table yeah, gruber saying i'm going to count to three there won't be a four you know and then give me the code when he also says, and when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. That's kind of a, like, ooh, kind of moment. I, I quite like that. But yeah, good, I really, like really good choices, man. Really good choices. 
even like the uh the suit thing and it's like i forget what it's called is it simon something no it's something Smith. like he calls it he calls yeah from london or whatever john isn't it? smith like, from london he's like i have two myself like i love, I love all of that yeah it's great uh have we missed any no we've got to the final moment which is the precious precious rating simon did you have a number in mind before you watch the film I had a number in mind since I was 10 years old. <laughs> I think you've just given it away there with your age number. <laughs> what was it? We'll go for it. Let's just go straight in. What was your What was your rating of Die Hard? Are we doing it separate? Yeah, yeah. We'll do it separate. 10. 10. It's always a 10. Nice. Every time it'll be a 10. It's never changing. It's 10 forever. I love it. I've never not loved it. I've watched it a million times. I'll watch it a million more times. As long as I'm alive, I will be watching this film at least once a year, probably twice, and I'm thrilled about it. Dom? Awesome. What about you? Uh, It is also a 10. How could it not be? It's the the perfect start to a a great franchise of films um, and... Yeah, it's great. The the trilogy, the first core main trilogy of the, the Die Hard films are all great. I, I really, really enjoy them all. I watched them all yesterday. Fantastic films. Um, and yeah, I guess the last ones are money making. Um, but yeah. Uh, it's just how do, how do you order, how do you order them? Sorry, like from of the first three. Uh, one, three, two. But mm. but two and three are like almost level okay. almost level they're really good i think i think um samuel L. jackson really helps being in the third one he really makes makes a great sort of sidekick to mclean in that in that film so yeah that's why but i'm really looking forward to you watching the second one i, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it so as soon as you watched it just kind of let me know what you think ping me a message or whatever because uh i am really keen to see what what you think of it and and if you work things out as well as you go it's, it's really exciting that you've not seen it because there's some things that you know I, i've held in and desperately tried not to mention so that <laughs> so that you're not spoiled and you get the opportunity to see it for for what it is so yeah i'm looking forward to to hearing your thoughts on that too so yeah awesome, awesome. thank you i'm looking forward to seeing it too well Thank you, Simon, and thank you so much to everyone that is listening. We love you all. Thank you so much for listening to our Die Hard episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, subscribe, find us on Instagram. All the information is in the descriptions below. And, yeah, we love you all. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dom. You did an amazing, amazing deep dive. And I loved, I liked how, you know, we did some of the trivia at the beginning and then you kind of just, like, fed it in as we went through yeah really i really enjoyed it thank you for leading and all of the efforts that you put in and uh yeah hopefully many more of these to come i think we've got a good format down of it just being more of an informal chat but with you know the uh the trivia and information in there and it really works about these films that we're passionate about so yeah thank you what do we do do we do a i guess what can we say on three i guess we're gonna do a ravens on three but there will not be a four (laughs) <laughs> i like that okay but can can i be takagi then and you be hans sure. uh and then 
I guess it would just end with you killing me. So Mike will be happy. Not that he'll <laughs> listen to this. So <laughs> He doesn't listen to any of our stuff. <laughs> Fool. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Takagi, I'm going to count to three when we will say ravens. There will not be a four. I can't say ravens. I'm allergic to feathers. Please. I, you One. don't understand. You, you can... You can do Two. whatever you want to me, but I cannot. Three. You're just going to have to. Ravens! <laughs> Ravens! <laughs>